This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. And welcome back to the best wrestling podcast in the world, the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. I, of course, am the guru of grappling. Remember that one, Rich? That's an old school one. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that one. Very old school. Joe Lanza. Here with the captain, Rich, back from vacation, Craig. <laughs> As we go through a bevy of different topics, of course, we have to talk about AEW's Fighter Fest. We've got the G1 coming up this weekend. We had ROH, Best in the World, which we totally did not forget about last week. No, totally the entire plan, uh, 100% of the time, was for uh, it to be... Uh, recorded for the overrun on, on voicewrestling.com slash Patreon uh, the day after was 100% the plan from day one, and I'm glad we executed that plan uh, to perfection, Joe. So that was a great job out of both of us uh, to plan and execute something perfectly. So, yeah, that definitely worked out well. Always the plan all along. We also <laughs> didn't we also didn't forget about the Evolve weekend last weekend either. That, oh, that no, we just, you know, just there's so much going on, so much time that we had it on the sheet. It was it was going to be our number one topic, and then it just, just kind of cut falling down a little bit, and then it just, yeah, unfortunately. Sips through the cracks. Wait, there was, an, then, there was uh, really an Evolve weekend? That's impossible. I watched it. That's impossible. We'll talk well, about I watched, it. Yeah. I watched one. I watched, I watched Saturday. I didn't watch. Um, it, it was, it was, uh, it overlapped a bit with Fighter Fest. So at one point, and you may have seen me on the old Twitter machine timeline, Rich, I was live tweeting both shows at the same time, which got a bit hairy. Uh, couldn't really pay full, full attention to both, but I had the Evolve going on the laptop. I had the Fighter Fest going on the big screen, and I attempted to watch both at the same time. I was not able to focus, and it bothered me. So eventually I just laser focused in on the Fighter Fest and had the Evolve kind of on and in the background. But those are shows that really happened this weekend. And, and, and the Saturday Evolve show, at least the one I saw, it was actually really good. But as you know, uh, nobody pays attention to Evolve anymore. There's like zero buzz. But uh, it was in front of another packed house at Laboom. Yeah, I don't know who these people are. It's, it's, it's a very... It I'd is the weirdest dichotomy. Yeah, because I think like when we were a much, much smaller site, you know, years and years and years ago, Evolve was it. I mean, that was like the talk of the weekend. And here's, and this is even post DGUSA. This is even as Evolve had sort of, because I mean, the DGUSA times, I mean, I know in our little bubble, that was huge. But, you know, when they were running those shows and, and the early Evolve shows, it was a big deal. But then even like four or five years ago, even pre Flow Slam, before that, still totally on live, like it was uh, everybody on the timeline kind of gathered around and watched Evolve. Uh, on their weekend shots or whatever, and and now that we've grown bigger than ever, and and follow more people, and have more people that follow us and watch us, and and, and do all this sort of stuff, and, and and you know interact with us, 
nothing. You hear nothing. And it's like you would think based off the VOW buzzle meter yeah, that it'd be that these houses would be 10 people, that it'd be 14 people and 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 the security guard or whatever that are only the people attending these shows. And then you walk at them and there's there's 500 people in the audience and 600 people. And like, who are these people? I don't know who they are because somehow it's gotten less buzz than ever, like literally zero buzz. And and even what's funny, we, we kind of we'll, we'll laugh about this, too, is that like we'll get reports from people that'll say that, you know, even on like torrent sites and and, and dirty, you know, pirate sites or whatever that like Evolve's not even showing up on those anymore. Like people aren't even bothering to upload Evolve shows onto torrents anymore. So even if you want to steal these shows, you still can't find them. So you would assume that this is just like a dead, like dead to rights company. And then you go and watch these shows and there's like 500 people. Like who are these people? They don't follow us. That that I do know. Creech doing a little uh, Jerry Seinfeld here. Who are these people? <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. Who it, are they? It, it Listen, it's, it's another victory lap for us because when they made the pivot to just embracing the WWE connection and we actually had Gabe Sapolsky on the show, we really laser focused on that topic for what, two or three straight weeks? And one of our narratives that we were pushing forth during that two or three week period where we really hammered home that story was we suspected that that pivot to embracing the WWE relationship would run off sort of our bubble of fans and, and people that, that we associate with, but it would probably be better for the company in the long run. And they, they'd probably grow. It's sort of like, you know, they, they ran off the very few fans that they had in order to grow and add new fans. And that's exactly what has taken right. place. Because the the outside Laboom always draws, but outside of Laboom, Evolve couldn't draw shit. We all know that. It was a running joke. You'd be lucky if there was, you know, a hundred people at a lot of these shows. But now every building Evolve goes to is packed with hot crowds. And Gabe was right. The WWE talent that he brings in, either for the signings or or, or to wrestle, um, they have they've drawn it. The plan has worked. The company does way better at the live gate now than it did before this pivot. But it unquestionably, they unquestionably ran off the former hardcore fan base that they did have. But to me. It was a move that was worth making because the old fan base was too small and unsustainable. And I'd rather have these packed houses. And Absolutely. we'll no, never sure. he'll he'll and he'll never give up the numbers and we'll never be privy to it. I'm willing to bet they're doing more eye pay-per-view buys too off of the WWE relationship. Because as you said, Rich, who are these people? That that's who they I believe that those people are now you know, I'm not suggesting they're doing tens of thousands of buys on their little WWN live. But, you know, if, if they're if they're buying tickets and packing these buildings, why wouldn't they buy the iPaper? Yeah, I, I that'd be fascinating to know because I'd almost I if I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if maybe they're doing less iPay-per-view buys, but more live event attendance because, hey, it's your chance to go see Adam Cole. Hey, it's your chance to go see Kyle O'Reilly. Hey, it's your, like I can get from a live event standpoint why that would be a little bit more appealing to me versus guy, you know, sitting at home watching it because maybe the shows don't peak. Uh, as as much as they did prior, but like I could see myself going there live if I'm a big NXT fan or whatever. I could see myself more so than than and 
throwing down, you know, 20 bucks or whatever on WWE Live to watch the show, but or, you know, throwing 20 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever the hell the price is to go see those guys live and do, you know, the signings and 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 that sort of stuff. So I don't know. I'd be fascinated to see those numbers. And like you said, it's 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 all moot because we're never going to know those numbers and they're never going to come up. But uh, yeah, it is. It's 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 interesting. It's definitely a weird. Well, I look uh, at it this way. If, yeah. I look at it this way. If the promotion had less fans before, why would they be doing less pay-per-view buys now? I just I wonder if I, I feel like a lot of their what they're doing now seems to be strived for live event business. So more you, you so think than it just it strictly appeals to a live audience more so than kind of do. Yeah, I kind of do. And again, like I don't have any basis of that. I'm just sort of you know spitballing here. Is that it, it, it does seem like a lot of the drive, and you can read a lot of the you know the, the the alerts. You know, I still obviously subscribe to the alerts and still kind of follow from afar. We make the joke of like, oh geez, I don't know if all was going on this weekend, but like you know we still follow it. You know, you know. To, to some extent and and a lot of it is come see and go see live and like it feels like there's a lot less dodo on live push whereas that used to be a big push for gabe is go watch us we're streaming live we're streaming live we're streaming live like that sort of stuff now it, it feels a little bit more like hey we are coming to x you know melrose or whatever and, and here's who we're bringing and it's going to be adam cole and he's going to be here and kyle is going to be here like i can tell even from the emails that it seems to be more of a live event strive than a, than a WWN or, or, or I pay per view strive for me at least. But again, that could be just me and it's just me spitballing. I, I don't know exactly. I don't have any yeah. numbers or figures well, in front of me, but I, it, it feels that way. I could see that you're saying, okay, when these NXT wrestlers or, you know, WWE wrestlers come to your town, you know, you'll go out and buy a ticket, but it's not something you're going to sit inside and do on a Saturday when they're halfway across the country is what you're saying yeah exactly yeah i wonder if that is possibly the case that it's just it's a little bit more fun for people to go there live and see those guys versus okay great i can't wait to see roderick strong on this you know uh, evolve i pay-per-view whereas yeah i can go see roderick strong live and and, and get a you know have him sh- you know shake his hand and, and and do a meet and greet or whatever i could see that being a little bit more appealing what i'm seeing now that i never saw before is just a sea of fans wearing nxt t-shirts in the crowd things yeah. like that um you know you're undisputed air right now they're pushing you know, you know. First, it was the Street Profits and some of the uh, um, who else was there at that time. I know a couple of them didn't last more than a show or two, but Street Profits were were there for a bit. Now it's the Undisputed Era that is on uh, basically every show, and it's just a sea of Undisputed Era shirts and Adam Cole shirts and Adam Cole baby chants, and and the crowd just goes nuts when those guys come out. Yeah, and, uh, sorry, not to not to cut you off, but I wanted to find out one of the uh, one of the recent emails, and I do remember this one. So yeah. the, the headline of this is, you know, lots of top NXT superstars coming to evolve is the the headline here, which is <laughs> not the best headline, but um, <clears throat> it says here NXT superstars to evolve NXT champion Gargano, uh, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Matt Riddle, Drew Gulak, and undisputed errors, Roger Strong, Kylie O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish are headed to evolve in June and July. Click here to read the article on WWE.com or whatever. So we scroll down. It says WN Red Hot Summer Schedule. The WN family will be busy this summer. Tickets and info are now available for all of these events at WNLive.com slash events. Uh, then they list ACW, FIP, Shine, Evolve, Shine, 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 yada, yada, yada. Uh, tickets are on sale for all these events. If you can't be in person, watch all the action on Club WN Live and WNLive.com with description. It's only $9.99 to watch all these live events. Uh, so it, it's a little bit of a blend, but it feels like a lot more of it. You know, at the last line of the entire thing is, okay, if you can't be here live, then you can watch it here. But it, it, it's that used to be really what, to me, for sort of drove the Dota and Live business and drove yeah. the Evolve business was, hey, we're streaming, we're streaming, we're streaming, and yeah, we're here live, you know, as well. And and that might be Gabe sort of changing his mind in terms of what he thinks is important is that, hey, I can I can chase a thousand pay-per-view buys or whatever, or I can try to get 500, 600 people in the building, buying merch, doing all this sort of stuff. And that maybe is more important to me than that. But yeah, reading some of these emails, I'm kind of clicking through. 
you know, the streaming aspect is is towards the bottom now. It is very, very low towards that. And we know, obviously, that they're going on WWE Network, at least for the, the anniversary show. And that might be a pivot sort of to, to kind of get people not less used to WWE Live and more used to eventually what we assume might happen with them going on WWE Network, you know, yeah. potentially more. So drawn fans, more fans than ever in their history, they um, are getting a show on the WWE Network. I mean, at this point, anyone who thinks that pivot was a mistake is nuts. Regardless of what you, even if you think the promotion is less interesting, which is fine. I mean, that's, you know, a subjective opinion. And you don't, if you're not interested in seeing Adam Cole and Tyler Breeze and, and the Street Profits on your Evolve shows, I get it. But as far as a business move, it was indisputably the right move. I mean, there was a good chance that Evolve was going to go under. Um, you know, he told us that privately. I don't remember if he said it on the podcast, but he may have even said it on the podcast. But I mean, it was a good chance it's going to go under. That man was in a state of panic with what he was going to do uh, with that promotion. And this essentially saved it. So, you know, now they're going to be on the network, and I'm sure that'll lead to a little uptick in business too and, and visibility and all those sorts of things. It'd be interesting if they push WWN Live hard when they do that pay-per-view. And, you know, it's like I don't really understand why people think this is like such a – this is he, Gabe Sapolsky is hardly the first person to take advantage of a relationship with WWE. There was probably three or four years in the mid-90s where WWE was shuffling talent to Memphis on a regular basis, whether it was Owen Hart or Coco Beware or Vince McMahon himself. Uh, you know, so, you know, Jerry Lawler used to take advantage of that down in Memphis. Jim Cornette booked, you know, Shawn Michaels. He booked The Undertaker. Uh, so Smoky Mountain, when Cornette was on good terms with WWE, uh, would book main event level WWE talent to help draw on Smoky Mountain. Obviously, Paul Heyman, they sent him Al Snow to, like, uh, be repackaged. And and so it, it's like, this is not some... Brackus. Un- Remember Brackus? <laughs> yeah. Brief, I mean, brief Brackus run in ECW? Yeah. I mean, this is not some unprecedented thing. I mean, you know, if Jim Cornette had an opportunity to get a hold of Shawn Michaels to wrestle Buddy Landell or to bring in The Undertaker and pop a house, why the fuck wouldn't you do it? I mean, oh, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make sense not to do it. I mean, so it's like, this isn't anything new. Yeah, or the, and, and, the, I think the most famous one, the Vince McMahon in Memphis run, too, where Vince, for just, like, <laughs> almost no inexplicable reason, yeah. did his little heel run in Memphis, which is awesome. Like, you know, he had the, the WWE guys invade Memphis. Like, it made no fucking sense, really, right. but it was like, hey, look, we need business from anywhere. You know, whatever. We'll we'll, we'll do what we can. And, of course, Memphis is going to say, yeah, fuck yeah, we'll bring in, you know, have, have have Vince run as a heel character and do some stuff and bring in Taker, I think, was was doing stuff. Shawn Michaels, I know, came in there in, 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 in 90, 93, right, was was that year the, uh, the uh, Vince the, in Memphis. The Oh, oh, in Memphis? I don't know. I know he wrestled with Buddy Landell in 93 for Smoky Mountain. Um, I don't know. I don't remember Michaels going to Memphis or what year it was. Or So I, I don't know. But I know that Owen Hart went down there. Vince McMahon himself was down there. And was, you know, didn't he win the whatever the Memphis title was at that point. I don't know if he did that. He was just kind of the heel authority figure, which was <laughs> kind of fascinating. It was a nice, it was a nice peek into like what eventually he would become, you know, down. I think you're right. I don't think he wrestled. I, yeah, I think uh, 1993 he- was that. Yeah. It was him versus, you know, Lawler. And then uh, it was yeah. building towards the Lawler's match with Bret Hart at SummerSlam. So it was kind of a dual promotion thing here where it's like, Hey, we'll help you pop some houses. And then we're going to also build and, and hopefully get the Memphis crowd invested in you uh, working Bret at, at, at SummerSlam. So uh, I think, Oh, Tatanka defeated, Tatanka in the USWA championship, yes. So, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, they would be, they would shuffle talent to Memphis uh, all the time in those days. So, um, anyway, it, it's hardly unprecedented. I mean, for me personally, I find it interesting. 
I, I think it's interesting to watch people like Babatunde wrestle and evolve and, 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 and no pun intended, watch them evolve and, and grow as performers, see who sinks or swims. Some of that NXT talent really does well. We talked about the Street Profits a million times. Some of them don't do as well. Um, they've got Sean Maluda down there now. He just started this weekend. And, um, you know, he'll be on the uh, the 10th anniversary show on the network and all that. So, I don't know. I find it interesting. I, I'm not put off by it. I You know, I, I, I don't want to say I'm – my interest level in Evolve didn't dip or grow. It's, I, I was interested in Evolve before they made the pivot, and I'm still interested now. I don't yeah. know. I think for for me, my my biggest thing is it's like it's just different. You, you know what I mean? We'll talk about that a lot with Ring of Honor when we talk about uh, that. Is that it's it, for a lot of people because it is the same company ran by the same people with the same logos, the same looks, or whatever. That it, it, it sort of feels weird. But if it was this brand new company that was just working as a developmental territory for WWE and kind of this, you know, you know, not necessarily NXT, but kind of sub NXT ish thing, not really the Largo loop, but kind of this in between thing, which is essentially what it is. We talked about it at the time, and 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 it's basically just kind of the double a now or 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 you know whatever you want to whatever slotting you want to put nxt in uh to WWE if that's triple a or wh- whatever it may be evolve is just the one step below it and it, it's kind of fascinating but i think for a lot of people and i totally get it we talked about it at the time too is it's kind of a shock to the system you know pun not not intended but i guess it kind of works to just have it be like not what evolve was before that now it feels like a feeder it feels like a developmental territory it feels like that sort of stuff no matter what they call it that's basically what it is which is fine it, it that, that's there's no problem in doing that it's just for a lot of people it's not the evolve that they sort of grew to love and, and that might be an issue like again like i said if they just want clean slate and they just call it a completely different company and a completely different name i don't think you'd have as many of a hurt feelings but even those hurt feelings they don't matter anymore you know there was there was a week of hurt feelings and those people went away and now they're doing the biggest business they've ever done so you hurt you you hurt the feelings of a couple dozen people and you you've created hundreds of new fans i don't know i i i don't know it's playing out exactly how i suspected it would but um but anyway there's your random evolve talk yes of course with so many topics in a in a an abbreviated show no doubt we would start start with evolve (laughs) that we weren't planning on doing hey you got me going I just I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you, I just mentioned in passing that we did not forget about them last week. And, Absolutely not. And uh, yeah, but listen, you know. Um, anyway, Rich, are you a? I got to ask you a question, Rich. Rich Krejci, do you subscribe to Patreon.com/slash Voices of Wrestling? Oh, I do. Are you kidding? Day one subscriber, right here. So you were privy to the huge breaking news that we released earlier this week that the mystery network that Conan has been hinting about. And has been whispered in on dark Twitter, but uh, but no one has been able to reveal the mystery network that Impact is is rumored to be moving to is Axis TV. You heard that report? I did. You? I did. VoiceRacing.com slash Patreon. Glad I'm a subscriber. That's right on the uh, five dollar tier. Um, if you would like to hear the details of that uh, exclusive breaking news, Patreon.com slash Wrestling. Uh, $5 tier for the breaking news. $5 tier will open up everything we do. And this is the perfect month to jump in and subscribe because, of course, we kick off our G1 coverage. I do want to note, I don't know when I'm going to have the audio up for the Dallas show because I will be in Dallas covering the event. And it's about a three or four hour drive back home. And then the next day I'm going to that. Uh, event in Caldwell. I, I so that that show. I don't know. Uh, we haven't worked out the details. That one might be up sometime between twenty four or forty eight hours. 
at the end of the show. Anyone who has subscribed and listened to our tournament, our daily tournament shows, knows that we generally get them up within a few hours of the show being completed. You know, about less than eight hours usually from the show being completed. The Dallas show might be the aberration. I don't know when I'm going to be able to get to that. I'm going to try to get to it Sunday. We'll see. It'll be up Monday the latest. But we've got a few days before the tournament uh, gets going on the Japanese side. So it's not as if the audio won't be up before the second night. When is the second night? It's like so the second July. night isn't until. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting. We have, a, you know, obviously we kick it off uh, day one, which we'll talk about here in a bit. This is not our uh, beginning of our, our preview. But uh, July 6th uh, kicks off, obviously, in Dallas. And then we have all the way until the 13th until right. uh, the next show. So but plenty of time to kind of spread our wings in, uh, a little bit and calm down a bit before uh, before things get going. Yeah, so I might need about 48 hours to get that up um, for the Dallas show. But uh, from that point forward, every tournament night, uh, right through into the month of August, uh, you'll have those those audio reviews up in a timely manner. They're the most comprehensive, in-depth audio reviews you're going to get really anywhere in the world. Also, in the month of July, we're going to have Richest Boys of Summer Series looking at the main events from, uh, from past Summer Slams. Of course, the Thursday TV reviews, they're not going to stop during the G1 because uh, I am insane and I am going to find a way to find the time to do all of this. The Thursday TV reviews aren't going to stop. And then uh, who knows? There's always going to be random overruns when this show runs too long, uh, breaking news updates and whatever else uh, we think of doing. $5 tier, we'll get all of it. There's going to be um, just uh, tons of hours of content, particularly in July and through August, so you're going to want to subscribe. Uh, there, a fraction of the listeners of this show are subscribers. The rest of you, shame on you! Every single one How of you. How dare you? How dare you? Be subscribing. You really should. Uh, you know, and, and listen. If you were, uh, my life would certainly change. If every single one of you listening would plunk down the five dollars a month. Uh, I'll tell you this. If every single person listening to this show goes and subscribes, and Rich, you're privy to the numbers that this show does. Yes, correct. Yes. So if every single person, uh, you know, we don't have to say the number. I'm going to get my little calculator out here. Okay, you do it with me. I am punching up what an average flagship does times $5. That is what we would make per month, Rich. Are you looking at that number? I am. That sounds pretty good. Yes, I am into that number. I I like that number a lot. (laughs) I got to tell you what, I wouldn't be punching the clock Monday. I don't know about you, but I'd be talking about wrestling for a living. If uh, if that number on my screen right now is what we were pulling in. Absolutely. From- yes. Yeah. I would not uh, be driving and telling you, hey, I got to do this. I can't do this. I have to do the show at this time. And that. Yeah. No, we'd, uh, we'd have plenty more time to record uh, audio. For sure. Mr. Krejci, I'd be happy to split that one down the middle with you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I'd have, I'd have no problem with that. Uh, <laughs> um, it'd make my taxes a lot trickier, but I'd figure it out. Um, anyway. Every one of you need to subscribe if you're going to jump in. This is the perfect month to do so. Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. And, hey, listen, ask people who are subscribers. The G1 audio, the tournament audio is fantastic. Rich is getting rave reviews for his Boys of Summer gimmick. So uh, you're going to want to do that. Now, Rich, the official first topic of the show after we wasted 20 minutes talking about Evolve for some reason, we got to do this Fighter Fest. AW Fighter Fest this past Saturday, second official show for AEW. Um, I'll give you the floor first for your just big picture, wrap it up in a ball, overall thoughts on the show itself. 
Yeah, so my initial thoughts, and and I looked at it, the, the the thing that I looked forward to most with this Fighter Fest, and the thing I wanted to to most see from them with the show was a the follow-up to to double or nothing, of course, you know, in-ring and 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 storyline-wise and all that sort of stuff, and the culmination of stories and the continuation of stories and all that sort of stuff. But for me, I think one of the biggest things that I looked at, and we talked about it last week when you're previewing it, is how BR Live was gonna be, how that app and that service was gonna be, because I was a straight pay-per-view buyer. Uh, as you were for Double or Nothing. It just made a lot more sense for me just to do that and and buy the pay-per-view and just no peace of mind. Okay, whatever. I'm just going to do it on there. So, But this one being free on BR Live, I was like, all right, look, I have no excuse not to try this BR Live. I need to see how it works. I need to kind of see the functionality. And I was shocked. I was shocked at A, how easy it was for me to sign up, which I got signed up right away. And I had told people, hey, you know, ne- you know, before the show gets started, kind of mess around a little bit because it's a little wonky in some places. And, and it still is. Like, it's still not available on every service that you probably would want it to be a- a- available on. But I had to be, I, I got to be honest, I was shocked at how good the stream was on my end. I mean, right when, when it started, there was a little bit uh, of lag issues. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, here we go. And it was just during the pre-show. So I'm like, all right, whatever. But then I kind of got worried. Okay, that's just the pre-show. Once things start going, once a lot more starts getting on there and once you know more and more people start getting on this thing it's going to get worse it's going to start buffering a lot more it's going to start lagging and by the time the actual show the the real business end of the show started it was perfect and it was perfect the entire way through so i was shocked by that and i was really surprised and 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 excited about it because now it's like okay cool br live is a viable platform at least for now because you know judging by the buzz and judging by the amount of people that i thought were watching the show and seemingly were watching the show br live held up pretty well and and I think that's a, a, a testament to them and it's a testament. You know, I, I didn't use fight, so I don't I'm not sure how the fight uh, stream was, but the BR live stream was awesome. So for me, two thumbs up in that sense where it's like, all right, cool. This is a viable platform. Another thing, too, we had a few people asking us questions about, you know, what do you think about Fighter Fest and now Fight for the Fallen, which is coming up in a few weeks? You know, what do you think about those being for free on BR Live? And 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 I'm down, and, and I know you, you and I kind of had the same thoughts here. I'm 100% down for that because I think what you're trying to do is not necessarily get every dime out of everybody right now. And, and this is kind of my argument with the Double or Nothing show. Uh, as well what you're trying to do more than anything is a get people sort of invested in aew hey this is what we do watch our shows here's what we're on here's what we're all about and more than anything get people used to be our live show that hey this is how you send it to the app this is how you get loaded build that email list build a list of of, of customers and then also build customer confidence where people now like myself use br live and go hey this thing actually works pretty well oh geez i've never used this before you know i know it was a disaster during the mickelson you know tiger thing a few years ago and that sort of gave it you know this this, this scarlet letter or whatever but now it's, it's it's good it's it's a little bit more refined and it, it, it the functionality is great so you know now you have two shows to sort of show people hey look no br live is a viable platform so in the future if you want to use br live instead of pay-per-view or or whatever and that's going to be what they want AEW, they're going to get 100 of those tnt turner is going to get 100 of the profits you know from a br live so that's obviously where they want to steer you eventually while still providing the pay-per-view option so i think that two thumbs up in terms of the distribution uh, on br live uh, and the show itself we'll talk about the pre-show the pre-show is another fucking disaster and that needs to get buried so goddamn uh, hard hold, on, hold yeah. on hold on i'm gonna okay before you start talking about the matches you touched on let me comment on a few of those aspects and then we'll get into the show itself because i was i was kind i was gonna do it backwards but i'm glad you did it this way so yeah as far as the distribution goes i can tell you that I did not have a BR Live account before this show, and now I do. And I would suspect that, okay, if 100,000 people bought the Double or Nothing pay-per-view, and let's just conservatively say that a few tens of thousands of others didn't want to plunk down money for the pay-per-view but are interested in AEW, I mean, you start running math through your head and thinking about how many – more people at this point 
now have a BR Live account, Tony Khan can go back to Turner and say, eh, you see that? Now there's 70,000 more people that you have right. the email address of or whatever. I, I think it's probably more than that, honestly. If 100,000 people were willing to pay for AEW, how many were willing to watch it for free? So whatever the number is, now BR Live has X amount of a significant amount of people in their database. And also from the other side, from the AEW side of it, now you're already signed into the site. So when they do start charging for shows on the site, it's one less step to dissuade you from going through. You're going, ah, I got to sign up for a site. No, you already have. You have an account. Now all you need to do is log into your account and press buy this show. They've, they've, it, it was very smart because now we've all skipped that initial step because I am super lazy. And I will tell you that when something is on a new platform that I got to sign up for, that's enough to dissuade me sometimes. I'm like, oh, I got to create an account, fill out all kinds of information. That's done. So when they start charging for shows, it's a lot easier for me to just go on my Roku or my Fire Stick app, whatever the case may be, log into the little app, press buy, and I'm all set. So now they've made it more convenient for when they start charging for shows, and they've showed Turner, look, X amount of people are now signed up to your service. So now you can spam them with emails and try to sell them Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson right. or whatever the hell else that you're showing on this thing. Okay, so yes, the distribution was brilliant. Absolutely the right play to, to give this away for free. Um, absolutely the right play to give the next one away for free, especially since it's a charity show and the optics of that and all that. I mean, I suppose you could have charged and give that money to charity too, but this is the right play. Just give them away for free and and keep getting more eyeball, eyeballs on it now as we build up to the TV. You already got $50 out of 100,000 of us for your big your big time, what are they going to do? Four times a year, they're going to do the big time pay-per-views, and that was their mm-hmm. first one. I get it, okay? You're not going to get all out for free, okay? They're going to charge you $50 again for that one or whatever you know it's going to be. But these shows here, as we lead up to the TV, absolutely the right move from every angle. I agree with you. As far as the feed, I'm with you. I had no problems with it. Didn't see any complaints in real time about the feed either, which tells me that it went off well. Now, when I talked about the feed on Twitter, I did get some people saying, ah, well, it sucked for me during this match and that match. That's your internet. Okay, because if there were major problems with this We would know. (laughs) Everybody would know. Real time. That's the thing. When, whether it's WWE Network or this or New Japan World or whatever else, when you're getting a buffering wheel and nobody else is complaining about it, that's your internet. And sometimes people just don't want to admit that or face that. Everybody has different internet speeds. I live out in the sticks. When I first moved here, I had one ISP option, and the speed was mediocre. And Rich, remember trying to do podcasts? I do, yes. (laughs) I am well aware of your internet issues, yes. And it was terrible. And then a couple years later, because, listen, when I moved into my street in 2009, it was one brand new street of houses. There was maybe 25 on each side, maybe 50 houses in this neighborhood, all freshly built. I bought one of them out in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have any options for a lot of things, okay? As the neighborhood grew, as College Station grows sort of in a southward direction, all of a sudden we had options, and now I have the fastest fucking internet money could buy, and we don't have any more problems doing the podcast. I don't have any more problems streaming things. But a lot of people in this country, 
I mean, if you don't have access to super high-speed internet, you're going to have problems streaming things. If your internet is just choppy that day, you're going to have problems streaming things. If you have 19 people in the house streaming things all at once, you're going to have problems streaming things. Rich, even people's internet setups, as you know, Rich, because you're kind of up on this. I have different internet speed depending on the room I'm in. Just because of where the router is and and you know how many walls it's behind and everything else, so it's like if, if I'm set up right next to my router, I've got super fast speed. You know, in in, in, in some in, in a couple of the bedrooms, shit doesn't work as well because it, it I'm further away from the signal. And people don't ever consider that kind of stuff, and they just instantly want to blame, you know, the uh, the service. You know, it's it's not the WWE. The WWE network has never failed me ever. Since I've had decent internet, it, it works like a charm, but you still see people cursing the WWE network because their internet sucks. Right, right, right. Yeah. Literally from the moment WWE network launched, I think it's been perfect for me. I've never, I've, I've one never time had, had an it. issue maybe, but yeah, it's been fucking perfect since, since the opening. And a lot of people don't know, you can call your ISP and you might not even have the fastest speed they're offering. No, you probably don't. And you're probably using the wrong router too. You're probably using the wrong modem. Like you're probably hooking it up wrong. You're not hardwiring into the right places. Your walls are a mess. Like there's, yeah, there, there's, there's a thousand different ways and yeah sometimes i even recently called and they're like oh why aren't you on like da 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 plus and i'm like i don't know i have my not they're like all right now you are and yeah my internet's been a lot better since then so. let me tell you something i don't know about you but mine calls me like every six months to try to sell me some bullshit i don't want yeah yeah we talked about that a few weeks on the uh, ago on the show i try to get you know they try to they, they want me to get security and phone and i'm like no no i'm not about that every time they call me i say oh well, i've got you on the line do i have the fastest internet money can buy and most of the time they say yeah but sometimes they say no, and that's when I say, all right, come out and give me that. That's what I want. You know, so call them and ask them. A lot of times you don't even know. Now, you're going to pay more. You know, you're not going to pay a million dollars. Usually, it's like Each tier is like 20 bucks or something, usually more a month. You know, it's like, but a lot of times people aren't even maximizing their internet speed. And yeah, like you just said, there's the setup matters and whether you're hardwired and how far from the router you are. So anyway, the point here. Is I don't believe that this stream had any significant issues because I didn't see any kind of widespread complaints. But uh, Rich, what did you think about the wrestling uh, part of the show? So the re- <laughs> I like the, I like the distinction there. Uh, I assume the wrestling part of the show is not the pre-show, or is that part of all the right, wrestling show? Go ahead and st- all right. Why don't we do that? Okay. Let's bury the pre-show and get that out of the way. I know we have the same complaints. You have the floor first. All right. It fucking sucks. All right. So the, the, <laughs> the three-way tag match, I enjoyed. It was best friends. Silk Allen signed for Private Party. Private Party was awesome. Uh, I think uh, one of the Bucks said that when they came to the back, they basically got contracts uh, from them. I don't know if that was symbolic or just kind of gesturing or whatever. But regardless, those guys were awesome. Uh, best friends are what they are. Silk Allen Sensor was good. Nothing wrong, wrong with that. 16 minutes. The action was hot. I was like, here we go. This is feeling good. The pre-show's back. They've realized how to kind of fix things. And then <laughs> the rest of the pre-show happened. Allie, Leva Bates, the librarians. Joe, I was in the room with the nurse and my friend Dan. And my friend Dan is a mostly WWE guy, but he's invested in AEW. He's, he's all about this AEW. He, he, is, he has decided that this is what he's going to hitch his wagon to. He has, he has usually been just ardent WWE guy. Like, I've tried to get him in New Japan. I've tried to get him in Ring of Honor. Tried to, it, it has never worked. He has given AEW a chance. He just looks at me as this is going on and goes, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. And I have the nurse saying, this is so stupid. Why is this on TV? And I have to, and it's one of those things where they want me to defend it. And I have to, and, and you always talk about this too. There's nothing worse than being in the room with somebody when something so shitty happens 
and they look to you to say, hey, why is this happening? Or, hey, what's the good in this? And it's like, especially with this librarian shit, I have just had to say, I don't know. I know it fucking sucks. It fucking sucks. It's terrible. I know. So then I get the, the match starts and the nurse goes, that one girl really sucks at wrestling, doesn't she? She's talking about Leva Bates. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> and then she proceeded to point out, which is another funny thing to point out, every time that she thought she was doing something wrong. She went, oh, wait, well, she was nowhere near on that kick. Or, oh, wait, she was like five feet away on there. Well, it's, you know, she's running really weird. And, all sorts of stuff. and then she keeps asking me, well, why is she bad? And I'm like, I don't know. I know she's bad. Like, I agree. You are saying the same things I am saying. But it's just, it's so funny to be in the room there. And this was about four minutes in. Because this match went about eight or nine minutes, I think. A few minutes in, they were the phones were getting grabbed. And they were just scrolling through Instagram and scrolling through Twitter and doing all that bullshit. And I was like, man, there are people watching this that aren't in the room with somebody who's hardcore like me that are watching this and going, what the fuck is this shit? And no, I'm not going to watch any more of this. This this librarian stuff is so awful. It's so cringy. Nobody cares. Leva Bates is terrible. Peter Avalon is fine. But this is a terrible role for him. This is not working and it has to go away as quickly as possible. Um, my wife was in the room for Nakazawa doing the baby oil. Oh. And, <laughs> but you can't even defend it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I preface that one before that match even started. I said, guys, this one's going to be zany and that guy's going to rub himself in baby oil. Just so you know, this one guy's not a wrestler and this other guy's going to be involved in baby oil. And they just went, oh, okay. And they just looked at their phones the entire time. They didn't care anymore. They, they, they were completely disassociated with the rest of this pre-show. And it just, it makes us look like goofs. Like, why do you invest so much? <laughs> right. Why are you watching this? It's <laughs> like, just fucking garbage. It's 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 juvenile, infantile shit. But more importantly, Rich, it's like last time the pre-show was the their first chance to make a first impression on people on the fence. And I don't care what anybody says. They lost pay-per-view buys because of that pre-show. This pre-show, I've heard people make the argument, well... If you were watching that, you already signed up for BR Live and you probably watched the whole event anyway. But they were showing this pre-show on a million different YouTube feeds, whether it was Turner or wherever else they were showing it, to try to entice people into signing up to BR Live to watch the rest of the show for free. And if your how many your friend Dan's and nurses and TLBs were out there? that saw this utter shit and hand-waved it and moved on with their night and did something else. That's the concern here. Okay? There's no doubt in my mind that if you were a fence sitting, and I know this sounds like a broken record for double or nothing, and I'm going to do it every fucking time. No, until they scrap this shit, we're going to do it. it, Okay? If you were a fence-sitting casual or a fence-sitting lapsed fan who listens to Cornette's podcast... And said, you know what? I got nothing going on Saturday. I missed wrestling. Let me check out this pre-show for the AEW that's getting all the hype. And you saw fucking Peter Avalon shushing the crowd. And Nakazawa with his baby oil. I'm sorry. You're not signing up to BR Live and even giving the rest of the show a chance. Why on earth have the librarians gotten more total screen time on the two pre-shows? Then Kenny Omega, Moxley, the Young Bucks, Cody combined. Jericho, those five should be all over your pre-shows. 
I should be getting promos from any one of those guys. Why was there not a seven-minute Moxley promo on that pre-show? Putting over his match with Janela. Followed by a Janela promo. Followed by the Young Bucks talking about their feud with the Lucha Bros. Followed by the Lucha Bros giving a Spanish-language promo talking about their feud with the Young Bucks. Why are we not getting those things that might entice some people, but instead we're getting this utter trash? Which even the AEW live crowd, which wants to like everything. Yes, going out of their way. And, and that's people people see that as a negative too. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. People see it as like, ah, this crowd just wants to like stuff. That's if you are a that's wrestling funny. promotion, that's the fucking object is to have fans that go to your shows and say, I hope that they give me the best show possible. Like I love this negative. Ah, these fans don't like anything you give to them. No, they won't like everything you give them because they didn't like the librarian shit, but they go to these shows not actively assuming that you're gonna fuck them over and give them shit. That's why WWE fans go to shows and boo and and chant CM Punk and all this shit because years and years and years of, of just being shit on versus AEW fans who go to these shows going, okay, I want this to succeed. I want to be entertained. There's a big difference there. And it's an understanding of, of they haven't fucked you over. They haven't thrown shit in your face and said, hey, just eat it, whatever, who cares? They haven't done that. But with this librarian stuff, you're right. They don't. There's a, a pin drop during this stuff and they are cheering everything. These guys want, everybody in that crowd wants so badly for AEW to succeed and be good. But they can't even they can't even feign interest. They can't even try to lie to themselves with this librarian shit. They can't, and they're too polite to boo it. Because we're still in the stage where it's a big party and they want to like everything. And everything else is over, with the exception of one other thing we'll get to. But the librarian they, they're too polite to boo it. It's not over. Nobody likes it. No one thinks it's amusing. And and this is what we're getting on two consecutive pre-shows. This is what they're giving us. Instead of the stars. I don't get it. And and the Nakazawa Jabali thing, look, I said it last week. You said it last week. It should have been a dark match. I have no problem with that if it's a dark match. And here's the thing, it wasn't that bad. For a non-wrestler and No, I was gonna say, you know, as stupid as it was and how I had to like preface it. In terms of like a guy that's not a wrestler and a guy that's a comedy wrestler, I, I kind of enjoyed it. There were some aspects that I enjoyed. It was but it's funny at times, but that's not but really it's what I not want. What I want to tell people my product right. is. exactly. And the people who are going to enjoy that, you won them over already. It should have been a dark match for the live crowd. The three-way tag—that's the shit you need on these. Pre- you give me that three-way tag, which I thought was a nope. I thought that was a four-star match with all of that action and how and how they got the private party over in one match. It achieved its objective. It was a hot match at a hot crowd. Awesome spot fest. You give me that, a bunch of promos from your stars, and then something like Guvera versus Sabian from the first pre- That's a pre-show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's going to get people to sign up for BR Live and say, oh, I want to see more of this. Nobody wanted to see more of that other shit. And this is my conclusion now, Rich, when it comes to the pre-shows. Okay? This is my conclusion. Because I think the people in that company – are way too smart to think that this shit is a good idea. So the conclusion I have reached is that they do not view the pre-shows as a sales pitch, the way that we are critiquing it. In other words, I don't think they think the purpose of the pre-show is to entice people to buy their shows or to watch their shows. I think they think the pre-show serves some other purpose. I think they're wrong 
I think that's the wrong tact to take when it comes to the pre-shows. I think they absolutely should use the pre-shows to try to, to entice new fans. But I don't think they do. And the reason I don't think they do is because I don't think they're that fucking stupid. I don't think Tony Khan is that fucking stupid. Okay, I don't think the people in that room are stupid. And I think they have to be smarter than that to think that any of this shit is going to get people interested in their show. Right, right. I think they think that the road to, to X or whatever, and 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 largely being the elite, that those are their sort of hooks. That hey, if if we haven't gotten you through those videos and you're not going to watch, then then forget it or whatever. Which I and, again, and let me be clear, I think they're wrong. Yeah, I do too. That's the kind of shit the hardcores are going to watch. You're not going to get some lapsed fan to go seek out your road to fighter fest videos you're gonna get them with the pre-show this is a big mistake the way they're doing this i am stunned i cannot believe how terrible these pre-shows are it blows my mind how bad they are because i know they're smarter than that and and the thing is these pre-shows are not an accurate reflection of of their product because then their shows happen and their shows fucking rule. Right. The opening is fucking Shima and Christopher Daniels. You know what I mean? And then like everything after that is awesome, but it's like, it, it is. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's, I, I just can't wrap my head around it. it. It's, it's two straight shows now. And it's, it's just got me. I don't know. It's got me so worried that, that I don't know. I mean, I, it, and I hope this doesn't bleed over. And, and I know a lot of people are saying, Oh geez, what's the TV going to be like? I don't know. And, and, and I remember I did a Q and a after double or nothing. People said, well, what do you make of the pre-show? And is the pre is, is, you know, the TV going to be more like the pre-show or the main show? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what the end of the day, what this is going to be. I'm glad you brought that up because that's more damage that these pre-shows are doing because now people are afraid that this right. TV is going to be. And I, there was multiple questions about that. Like, Hey, is this, if this is the TV, then eh, I don't know. I'm not that into it. Like I like this, but I don't like that. And I get it. Like the, the people that listen to this show i cannot imagine any of them saw this pre-show and went oh here we go other than uh, and we should again preface and you said it, the three-way tag is awesome that was great sammy Guevara and, and, and kip sabian on the first show awesome that sounds fine the other stuff is just it, it's and if that is what the tv is going to be then we're in you know they're going to be in some trouble i think because people don't want that people i i don't think a lot of, and we can see from the live crowd too these live crowds don't like it the the buzzle meter i mean there is nobody enjoying this librarian shit there's nobody enjoying these comedy crap uh, that's on this pre-show and 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 people that are enjoying it it's not i don't think i i, I don't think it's le- representative of a larger audience i i think this larger audience and you can tell from the crowd reactions you can tell from what happens when the wrestling the really good stuff happens on these shows and people absolutely love it there's just yeah it, it, it's just an utter waste of time and like you said the idea that the librarians that leva bates has had more time on these pre-shows than than kenny the bucks cody moxley janella and jericho combined is just it's mind-boggling do you think what do you think of this theory what do you think of the and i've made the i think i've made this analogy once before but uh the real world on mtv one you know the during the opening credits they say when people stop being polite right start getting real start getting real do you think we're still is there anything to the theory that we're still in the we're all being polite to each other stage when it comes to AEW, and uh we're still in awe of what we're accomplishing and uh, in other words, let me frame it this way. You can clearly see with Cody's stuff, there is it's nothing but nods to the old school. Uh, Blade jobs where, where his brother is bleeding, the old proverbial crimson mask, an old throwback, old school fucking war. Uh, he's doing chair shots to the head on this show, which we'll get to. Clearly, the lights out stipulation in the main event was all Cody since it was in Florida and a nod to his father and all that. So you've got Cody pitching all this old school stuff, and then whoever the fuck is pitching the librarian stuff, let's just 
for the sake of argument, say fucking Nick Jackson. I have no clue. Okay. You think at some point Cody goes up to Nick Jackson and says, Nick, what the fuck are we doing here? Or do you think that, um, you know, it is a collective and, and things see to me, I feel like, like, look at Jabali. That's clearly a Kenny thing. Putting that through. It's just two pals, Nakazawa and Jabali. You know? So you think we're at a stage where nobody wants to go up to Kenny in the meeting room and say, listen, we're putting that as a dark match. Cause, or do you think that this will continue moving forward? Do you kind of see what I'm getting at here? Where- I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think TV is going to be what's really decides that is when everybody has to sit in a room and say, okay, what, we have an hour this week. What are we putting out? Because right now they got a little bit of time. As you said, everyone's kind of able to carve out their own little niche here. And, and and maybe it is Kenny or whatever that's that's doing some of the pre-show stuff. And like Nick, who really likes librarians, again, is all sort of and, – and, and everyone's kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll give everybody their stuff. But then when you only have an hour and it's every single week and we got eyeballs and we're really trying to get this thing ramped up and TNT's looking at the ratings and all this sort of stuff, that's when push comes to shove. And there might be someone where Nick says, hey, uh, I want the librarians in segment three. And everybody goes, no, man, fuck the li- that We're not doing the library. Like – I think TV is going to be when that all sort of shows up. I think right now the the shows is everybody kind of gets their own footing, gets an idea of what's going on, gets a sort of, hey, all for one and one for all type thing. But once the TV starts getting ramped up, I think then you can't do that anymore. Then it's like, all right, no, 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 no. We all got to sit down. We have to decide what's the best for this company because right now there's some, I I feel like everyone's kind of trying their own little stuff here and there, which is good. That's what a, a new company should do. But Man, TV's starting soon, and 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 you can't fail. You know what I mean? TNT, you cannot go there and shit the bed. So it, it it's it's going to be a reckoning, I think, for for a lot of stuff. I'm I'm fascinated to see a fight for the fallen has similar sort of stupid pre-show stuff too, because then I'm really really worried. So I think the librarians are a perfect test case to see if they're willing to drop something if it isn't working, because it isn't working. And if I were Tony Khan. If I'm the final decision maker after that show and that embarrassment, I would have said to whoever's idea that was, we are aborting this mission. It's over. We can repackage them if you want. We can write them off, but we're going to do it on uh, being the elite. I'm not writing them off on my – they're never being – they would never be on my television ever again if I was running that show. I'd say, if you want to write them off, you do it on your goofy little YouTube thing. That's fine. And we can keep them employed if we want to repack. Listen, I think Peter Avalon can can be of service. Oh, for sure. Okay? I don't think he's a main eventer. I don't think I'd ever push him. But if you want to tell me that Peter Avalon can be like a prelim guy or put people over on TV or be like an, uh, have some kind of – I can um, see him in a, in, a, in a managerial role too if you want to just man, be a, a talking piece or a guy that comes out and cheats with somebody like a heel manager. I can see that working for sure. Good talker. Okay? He, he, he knows what he's doing. You know, you want to have him put people over on TV every week or give him a little manager game. Listen, there, I can find a way to utilize Peter Avalon. Leva Bates, I am. <laughs> I would, I would tell Leva, yeah. <laughs> thank I'm you for your be- service. We are, we are going to move on for right now. But so. I'll, be, I'll be fair. I have no use for her. But if, if, if they want to use her in a prelim capacity, the way WWE used her, I, I can live with that too. Okay, because that's essentially what they are now. They're just a prelim act. It's just a very bad prelim act that I think is driving people away. So it's not like they're they're pushing these people. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's the act with Leva, though. I'll I'll be honest there. I agree, but I was being charitable. I know she's a horrendous wrestler. So listen, I, I have no she's use. Very for her. nice to people on Twitter, though. So I get it. You have to, but no, we could. I we wouldn't could. employ her. But no. But here's the thing: if this wasn't AEW and this was some indie company. 
why, and you put on this pre-show, Rich, would you have watched the rest of the show? God, no. Then that's all that needs to be said. But um, look, the three-way rules, can we bury the Dark Order now? Because- oh, yeah. Speaking of things <laughs> that aren't working and need to be dropped immediately, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand why you want to keep going with the Dark Order, and but you got to – the next step of the Dark Order has to be some sort of semblance of, okay, what is this? Why is it happening? Because two times in a row now, they've done the mystery stuff, and nobody fucking cares. There's no – there's no intrigue. The crowd just kind of like, Ugh, all right, here we go. Yeah, dark. It's not working. And I, this, and I don't know what time, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what it is, but this isn't working. And this time, you can't blame the fact that no one knew what was going on or who they were because they were already introduced to this on the previous. Right. The second the lights went out, everybody knew who it was and went. Uh, all and right. this time, <laughs> it's just no one cared. So the Dark Order and the librarians are two things that decidedly are not working. Now the Dark Order as a tag team. I, I, if it were me, I continue on. I think they're talented guys and all that, but I drop all of this hokiness surrounding them. I just, I no more minions. They're just a fucking tag team. They could have those dark aspects if you want, uh, but the minions and the lights going out, that stuff's got to stop because it's not working. And these are great test cases to see if they are willing to admit that some of this shit isn't working and just pivot away from it. So uh, that sucks. Librarians suck. Pre-show was an absolute disaster again. To the point where, Rich, we should really be on here talking about private party. But what are we wasting our time doing? Yeah, talk about the librarians and, and, and Nakazawa and the Dark Order and stuff. Yeah, and it stinks. It's because it all stinks. And private party, very quickly, and we'll move on to the, to the main show. Uh, I think the big key, I think everyone agrees that they look phenomenal and they have a potential star act on their hands. I think we could all agree on that. Well, maybe we don't. I haven't heard you. Do you agree? No, with all 100%. That? Yeah, no, okay. absolutely. I, I thought I said at the beginning, but yeah, they were they were incredible. They were everything that you want out of a pre-show where, where they just jump off the board. I mean, just awesome match. And, and yeah, you couldn't deny that after that match that they were the stars of that match and that they were guys that needed to be there uh, full-time, uh, long-term and, for sure. And there's buzz and people want to see more of them. That match accomplished exactly what it needed to accomplish. That's why I had no problem with them losing. Did you have a problem with them? Losing? No, not at all. No, no. I mean, best friends are obviously the better team of, of those guys. And and it's one of those matches where it, the wins and losses don't always, they, they matter. I don't want to say they don't matter. And, and, and you know, and there's, there, most people listening know what I mean. You sometimes, get losing is what you're saying. Exactly. Sometimes it's okay if you don't win a match. Like it, you do enough in the match that that's impressive. That, that, that stands out, that that makes people take notice, and that's what they did in this match. It did not matter. I mean, I don't think anybody remembers or is going to remember two months down the line that they lost the three-way tag match for an opportunity at an opportunity at an opportunity for a championship opportunity. No one's going to care about that, but you know, in this moment right now, all we thought about was the private party, and they're just going to remember them, you know, being what they were and and, and having that great, you know, opener. So no, I don't think it really matters all that much uh, who won and lost this one, especially since it's only just to get into the tournament. They'll probably be in the tournament regardless. So all that matters is that they got over and they yeah, did, exactly. and, and and that's going to be a kind of a theme with some of these other matches too, where I really believe. Listen, we're two shows in. I believe the established stars should be winning all of the matches. I know some people disagree with that, and I'm curious to see what you think. It seems like you agree on this one um, because uh, for the reasons we just laid out. But um, I think there's a couple more instances of that that we can talk about as we go through the show. So let's start at the top. Shima defeats Christopher Daniels. Um, my quick and only thought on this is – well, I have more. But my, my, my first initial thought is this was um, the epitome of a – well-worked match between two veterans who weren't trying to have a great match. Um, 
and I'm going to go on another star, a little mini star rating rant, and then I'm going to hand you the floor to talk about this one. Um, this is an example of a of a good three star match, right? And this is the problem with the star rating system because let's say that John Moxley Joey Janela was a three star match, same rating. That's a bad three star match because if you're in the main event and you're getting 20 minutes and you're having a plunder match. It's like you'd give that three stars if you didn't like it. Whereas in this match, they did everything they set out to do in this match. Mission accomplished. And because you do like it, you're giving it three. But you can't go over three because the dumb star scale is set where five is a match of the year contender style match. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so there's two different kinds of three star matches. Like, this is a perfect three star match because this is all they were, they did exactly what they were trying to do. They went out there for 10 minutes, they kicked out of each other's secondary finishers, right? And then Shima won the match with, by establishing the Meteora as his primary finisher. The work was solid as fuck. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the match was over with the fans. They, they, they did everything they set out to do. The goal was to go out there and have a good little three-star match, and that's what they did. And that's why I struggle with star ratings sometimes because you can give two matches the same exact rating, and one is a failure and one is a success. What did you think of Shima versus Christopher Daniels? Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you, too. I, I was at three stars with this one, and it was in the moment a little disappointing because I had really high hopes for them, but when it was – it was one of those weird things where the match ended and I was just like, ah, all right, that didn't quite live up to kind of what I thought it was going to be. But man, that was solid as fuck. Like, that's exactly probably what it needed to be as the opener of this show in terms of of not blowing the doors off and not being this incredible. Oh, my God, I can't believe they they went out there and did everything they possibly could and and and, and had, you know, the match of the night as the first match or whatever. I mean, there, there's there's a way to go about that. Like, you can be a show where everybody goes out there and tries to to, to top the next match after or. or <laughs> oh, sorry, what was that? PWG is what you're saying. Yeah, right, right. The opener of PWG is going to be like, those guys go to have the best match of the night, and then the next guy goes, all right, fuck, I guess we got to top those guys and top those guys and top those guys. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, I like shows like that. That's pretty fun. But I like the idea also of AEW sort of establishing that, no, no, that's not exactly what we're going to be with these pay-per-views. We're going to give you solid as fuck wrestling. Like, I am never going to complain about a match like this. This is perfectly fine. It, it was timed a little under 10 minutes. As you said, Shima definitively won the match. He put Daniels away with his finisher, so it establishes that Shima's in the hierarchy a little bit higher than Daniels right now, or that Shima's, you know, whatever he is, and, and 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 kind of definitively got that win, and that's important too, and it's important that as well that it wasn't a bunch of kickouts and it wasn't twenty minutes and it wasn't this exhaustive thing or whatever. Do I like that in my wrestling? I absolutely do, but I like too just matches that are solid and just matches that you know that hey, I'm gonna get good clean wrestling, and at the end of the day, I'm gonna know who won and I'm gonna know who lost and I'm gonna know why that guy won and I'm gonna know why that guy lost, and that that is kind of cool and it's kind of refreshing too. Uh, from a company to see that as well. So I can't complain all that much. This isn't like it, it shit the bed. It did disappoint me a little bit because I did have super high hopes, but when it was done, it's one of those things where I could be both disappointed and felt like it, it, it accomplished exactly what it needed to accomplish. And that's where I was with this one when it was over. This was two veteran wrestlers knowing their place on the card and working to that. And it's like if Tanahashi and Okada go out there on Saturday and have a three-star match, we're all going to be mocking them and laughing and like and being upset that we spent money on a ticket and and it's a failure. But this is a three star match. It, it just that's where the star ratings fall apart for me. And and it's like I don't know. It, it bothers me, you know. And 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 Shima won definitively, like you said, because look, he's got a money match coming up with Kenny Omega right. that's expected to sell tickets. So yeah, he needed to win. The right and, guy won. 
and that's the thing I think we're gonna have to unfortunately kind of rewire our heads is that like dude and it happened with the opener or, or, or double or nothing too when Jericho just beat Omega he just beat him <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. it's like we have to hardwire you know kind of rewire a little bit where it's like oh guys are just gonna win because they need to win because yeah. they need to establish that they need to win and it was like you know it's good that in, in some ways that Shima just beat him and that Daniels didn't kick out of the meteor and, and they went back and forth and back and forth and he had to hit six meteors to pin him. Like it's, it's in some ways kind of like, Oh, okay, well Shima deserved to win that. And now he's going to go on and to a bigger match and, and Jericho, it's not like Jericho and Omega needed to have 45 minutes of kickouts. It was like Jericho put him away and pinned him and it was over. And it's like, Oh, all right. <laughs> like there we go. Guy might, he might be the first champion. He just needs to win matches. Right. You know? And, and Shima, you know, he wins and, um, you know, and, and now you're looking forward a little bit to 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 what, and you're like, oh well, now this all makes sense because he's facing Omega, and Omega lost his first singles match, and Omega is going to beat Shima now, who comes into the match a little stronger because he beat a, a guy like Christopher Daniels, and you know that'll give Omega a win going into whatever he's going to do with Mox. It just you could kind of see the the booking coming into place now as we get two and three shows into the promotion, so. Um, a successful three-star opening match. And we're also learning about the promotion. Maybe they're going to structure their shows like old-school shows where you build up to the back end of the card instead of trying to uh, blow everybody's doors off like a PWG show. We don't know any of these things yet. We So we're all learning the promotion as we go. Uh, but next up, we had a uh, triple threat with the ladies, Rich. We had Riho. She wins a match that also involved Nyla Rose and Yuka Sakazaki. Uh, my my uh, pithy thoughts on this one, before I'll let you talk at length, is that I thought this smoked the shit out of the women's matches on the first show. Uh, what did you think of this uh, three-way? Yeah, I 100% agree. I think this was way better than both of the women's matches uh, on Double or Nothing. And I really liked uh, the Joshi match from Double or Nothing, but I thought this one was really good. I thought this one, because of that, it was only three people and each of them, I thought, had an opportunity to sort of show what they were good at, show you know their highlights, and, and particularly Nyla Rose. It was great to see Nyla be able to be the monster on her own without Awesome Kong sort of overshadowing her. And for Nyla, I, th- I think it was a great opportunity for her to show, okay, this is what she is, and and you know, as kind of establish her hierarchy in that division. I think that's super super important. I know if you got the opportunity to do Awesome Kong, I get it. I 100 understand why they did that at Double or Nothing, but I think in in some ways, long term, unless you did a match like you did at at, at Fighter Fest with Nyla Rose, there was an opportunity that maybe she gets sort of overlooked, or maybe she just get, I, I don't know. I don't know the exact terminology, but, but you know, I mean, like there was an opportunity there that they may have lost that I think they, they're right back on, where now she again is established as the monster. The awesome Kong thing was kind of just a one off that Brandy did, whatever, not a big deal. But then you established Nyla, but then I think as well, uh, Ryoho and, and, and Sakazaki now have their little feud bubbling under the surface that they lose this match and and, and or, or Riho wins the match and then Sakazaki a little bit angry at Riho and stuff so it's kind of cool Nyla Rose got to look like a monster toss the other two girls around those two got opportunities to show off what they're really good at and then they now have a feud kind of bubbling under the surface as well so a lot of good coming from this match I want to see the Riho Sakazaki singles match now so I think they did a good job drumming up some interest for that I'll disagree a little on Nyla Rose. I think they got her over as a monster from the perspective of, or they attempted to from the perspective of, I liked how the match was structured and worked where the two Joshi would gang up on Nyla when the three of them were in the ring. And then they'd go at it. It's almost like they had a a battle plan. Okay. We got to take care of her because she's a beast. And then we'll worry about each other. So I like that constant story. The thing with Nyla Rose is, I've seen her twice now, and admittedly, they're the only two times I've ever seen her. 
I don't think she's very good. And I think that AEW knows that she's a work in progress and she's not very good. And I think that's why we're not seeing kind of what we've been asking for. God, why don't they put Nyla Rose in there with someone and just let her fucking destroy people? And Because I don't think they think she's ready for that. I, I, that's the that's kind of the feel I'm getting and why they're kind of hiding her in these multi-person matches and, and why she's not winning them because I don't believe that they think she's ready. Um, I, you know, and, and, and to me, I'm not seeing a polished wrestler in there either. I'm not even seeing someone that conveys the fact that she's supposed to be this monster. I'm not even seeing that from her. So I think there's some growth there that needs to occur with Nyla Rose before they really push her hard and put her in a position to be a monster. Uh, so that's that's the kind of feel I'm getting off of Nyla Rose. But as far as this match, um, you know, we finally have our first sort of storyline or semblance of a storyline in the women's division now with Rio and Sakazaki's post-match stuff. So um, I would like to see those two have a singles match. I'd like to see, honestly, Rich, any singles match with the women yeah, in this that's promotion. The next stuff, outside let's, of that. Let, let's get some singles matches here. Enough of the We had the Dopey Leva Bates singles match, but I don't think anybody's counting that. But I'd like to see a singles match with, with some of the pushed people because this is enough for this now so hopefully this means we're going to get a Riho Sakazaki singles match at some point as we move on to the four-way Adam Page of course he had to win this in a match that also involved Jimmy Havoc Jungle Boy and MJF the only thing I'll say about this before you talk us through it is I thought MJF gave like a god tier promo before this that promo was a work of fucking art. You do not see promos of that caliber in pro wrestling anymore. His cadence, the put-downs, the heat it generated, I mean, it ticked every box. You were watching, like, prime Rowdy Roddy Piper. You were watching, name your all-time great heel promo. I was in awe of MJF and mesmerized by how great this man is at cutting a heel promo and getting over as a guy that you just want to see get fucking destroyed. Uh, what did you think of the promo, I guess, since I fucking just splooged all over myself over it? And then what did you think of the match? Uh, I will say the promo, I, I, I 100% agree. And and, and here's, an, here's an, you know, sort of an example for you as well. Uh, Dan, who I mentioned, was watching the show with me. He was about ready to go at this time, just not because the show was boring him or anything, but he just had to go or whatever. So he's, he's getting ready. He's packing all the stuff up. MJF starts cutting that promo. He starts laughing. He's looking. We're kind of like the nurse is looking up from her phone. Everyone's looking up and focusing. Dan puts all the stuff down and goes, eh, I guess I can watch this match. <laughs> it was like that dude. He kept him in the room. <laughs> like if the nurse was about ready to say, ah, screw this. I'm going to go to bed or I'm going to go do something else. Dan's ready to leave. MJF gets them back and they sit down and they go, oh, man, like they were just laughing their ass off when he's talking about the virgins. And unfortunately, they cut to some one guy in the crowd. It probably feels like an absolute shit right now. But like, no, that was yeah, there were people. Yeah, that, I, guy, and, that guy might be a sex god. For I know. <laughs> we're kind of like, uh, uh, if I had a virgin in the crowd, they're like, oh, I think I got one. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine being picked out specifically when they're making fun of virgins and they pick you to show on the camera? <laughs> that's, that's an unfortunate uh, side that there. That guy but, might but, have a giant hog. He could be yeah, slain. Right. He might yeah. be slaying puss all over the place for all we know. And a poor guy now. Right, just because he had a video game convention too. Maybe he's big in the furry community. You don't know. So yeah, that's right. Know. Yeah, I'm very listen, I am very popular in the furry community. Is that true? Okay. I am huge. I don't need to hear anymore. Please don't. Please don't. I am not a furry. 
But I, the furry community, by and large, are big fans of Joe Lanza in this podcast. That is a fact. I can name specific furries who are big fans of Joe Lanza, but that's a topic for another day. Indeed. The point here is that poor guy was labeled as a virgin. And who knows? <laughs> you know, he, he might be having orgies in his room up in uh, – where are they? Orlando for this Orlando, thing? yeah, at the CEO game show. Yeah, maybe he's, he's really – Pulling all the Street Fighter girls or whatever, but uh, yeah. Anyway, it was um, no, it was it was yeah, it was a great promo, and and, and I always hear from people that are like, ah, I don't know that, like, and and most people, I, I should say, most people agree that this guy is just an incredible promo, awesome promo, great heel. There are, are people I do hear as well. They're like, ah, it's kind of all the same stuff over and over. And once you hear one, you hear them all. I completely disagree. Like this is again another one. And and, and maybe if you see him on a bunch of indie shows in a row or during WrestleMania weekend, it was some of the same stuff. But I think when he really needs to deliver a great heel promo, there is nobody, and I, nobody even in the fucking universe, nobody in the stratosphere of MJF in terms of cutting a, a, a promo that can just keep going on and on, and just every next note is a little bit stronger than the other, and more than the other, and just like he gets, like you can't help but you can't even fake, you know, the the the, the cool heel cheer thing that some people will do with a guy who's cutting a really good, yeah. like you might start booing him and then he starts really reeling into you. The thing that the rock sort of dealt with and when, when, you know, by his last, you know, heel run, not, not the 2003 heel run, but like his 19, late 1998 heel run, he was so good at being an asshole that people started getting into it and started actually cheering him where MJF is such a fucking dickwad that you can't even comprehend cheering for him. Like you're just annoyed that he even taught. And like, I, I love the guy. Like, I think he's great at it, but I've been there live where I'm like, Oh, you know what? Fuck you, dude. <laughs> like you're an asshole. Like where he just gets you. He's so good at that. He's just such a prick. And and there's nobody that's as big of a prick as he is right now. I, I, he's just on an incredible level too. And he, he's he on lets a it go into Twitter. He, he I've met him outside of shows, and he's telling people to fuck off. He's driving in cars. People see him at a stoplight, and he tells them to go, you know, fuck themselves. It's just like, oh my, like this guy's always like he might just be this in real life. Like I don't know the real MJF, and that's awesome because most other wrestlers, you kind of you'll the, the, the those barriers will be broken down on on, on social media or be broken down before a show or broken down you know after a show. I was I saw him before a show once when there was three other people me and two other people there for like press and he's talking shit and cutting promos on us and i'm like what the fuck like they're setting up the ring and there's two people here and you're still talking shit and cut and, and and being an asshole it's just he's he's incredible i think he's really really great he owns completely owns the gimmick this was a god tier promo you could have you can plunk this guy 1983 mid-atlantic 1974 memphis 1986 wwf uh, uh the attitude era you put him anywhere you want in any place and time, and he'd get over as, 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 a, yeah. as a top heel. That's how good he is. That's how special he is. It would work in any era and any time and place. And um, it's just this promo, though, like a lot of times they're just – but this one, I was, I was in awe at this. This promo was so good. I mean, you know, this is just an, an incredible promo. But anyway, um, what, what did you think of the match itself? Uh, I didn't love the match itself. I just thought a lot of things happening without much real – structure or 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 balance and, and like i just didn't like the four-way match i just don't like the i any sort of match that's going to be a four-way is always going to be kind of down for me and and in terms of this i thought adam page had his moments where he could kind of shine a little bit and look good but i think he was a little i, I don't know i not over i don't want to say overshadowed there's just so much going on and there's so many different people in this ring and there's just so much different and and i just kind of wanted it to be over i would have just rather preferred adam page beat 
MJF or Adam Page beat Jimmy Havoc or Adam Page beat Jungle. Like anything that you want. I know you have to have Adam Page win. That makes all the sense of the world. Hangman Page has to win this match. It's just the four-way structure was just like it felt like there was three other guys in the ring just because there had to be three other guys in the ring. And I thought it, it, it just to me, I, I I just thought it lacked focus and it lacked structure. And and I, I just I wasn't a big fan of it. Even though they did they tried to make the most of of having four guys in the ring and set up some spots that really worked and all this sort of stuff. Just ultimately when it was done, I was just like, man, I just would have really had rather just had a singles match. I just think it didn't accomplish exactly what I thought it should have, which is put Adam Page over as this dude is about to go for this world title. Like I thought he was kind of it's kind of him mucking it up with geeks, I thought is what it felt like in this match. Yeah, we talked about it a little last week. I think it's very clear that the pocket stuff totally threw off their plan for Adam Page. And we know that he wouldn't have been in the Battle Royal if not for the Pac stuff. And I don't think he'd be in this match if not for the Pac stuff. So I think the Battle Royal and this match were sort of just emergency contingency plans to to get Adam Page on the shows once Pac's thing and once all of that booking fell apart. So I agree from that perspective that it does feel like he's just every on all these shows, he's mucking it up with geeks. This is a guy you're trying to heat up for a world title match. And, um, you know, maybe they should have just pivoted to a different plan and, and, and had singles matches, big singles matches ready for him. As far as the match itself, I didn't think it was any kind of um, incredibly well-worked match or dynamic match or anything like that. But I really liked it because I thought that um, unlike a lot of four ways, I think, the other three guys all got enough shine to where they all looked good at, at, at points. You had MJF with the promo. Jungle Boy, who I was very skeptical of coming off my limited viewing of him in PWG. But I'm starting to get it a little more with him. Um, you know, thanks in part to this match. And Jimmy Havoc, who Jimmy Havoc's an acquired taste. You either get Jimmy Havoc or you don't. A lot of people don't. And it's the kind of thing where if someone doesn't get Jimmy Havoc, I don't try to help them get it. Because it's just, do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? It's like, is there a band that you really like or a TV show that you kind of know is an acquired taste? And if maybe you say to your wife or your friend, hey, try out this album or try out this show. And they're like, hey, man, that was not for me. And you're like, I get it. I get that you don't get it. And I'm not going to push you on it. Like, that's Jimmy Havoc to me. Some people get him and some people don't. Um, I get Jimmy Havoc. I, I don't love the guy, but I, I, to me, he is, he is to progress what Sandman was to ECW. And it's like people who weren't ECW fans would see Sandman and they'd be like, what the fuck? How is this guy over? He stinks. He's horrible. You know? And it's like, you just don't get it. You just, you either get it or you don't with the Sandman. Same thing with Jimmy Havoc. Um, I don't think Jimmy Havoc will ever get over anywhere like he did in those early days of progress. But um, you know, I, I do think that there's ways that you can take advantage of what he does bring to the table. And um, anyway, that's just my little Jimmy Havoc grant. But yeah, I, I like this because um, more than I expected to, because I did think it, it, it they did a good job getting MJF, Jungle Boy, and Jimmy Havoc um, some shine. And, um, you know, it's just unfortunate they don't have better plans for, for Paige. But um, let's move on now to the business end of the card. We had Cody versus Darby Allen. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, let's start with the match itself, and then we'll get into. I know you don't want to, but we have to. There's no way we cannot talk about the chair shot. Oh no, I'm fine. I, I, I actually um, enjoy talking about this. So okay, but let's let's start with the match. I think the chair shot is more interesting to talk about anyway, so we'll save that. Um, the match itself, time limit draw. Um, this is another. 
another example of a lot of people felt this didn't do enough for Darby. I'm someone who disagrees with that. Where do you stand on the match and what it did for Darby? Yeah, I, I, I could see the argument that people would make, but to me, I, I think Darby not only acclimated himself pretty well, there's the spot that everyone's going to remember of him doing the coffin drop onto the apron or whatever. I think that is what, when you talk about, hey, it, and we, we say, you know, zoom out a little bit, look two months on the line, three months on the line or whatever. Are you going to remember that Cody and Darby went to a time limit drop? Maybe not. Are you going to remember that Darby Allen did a, a, a fucking coffin drop or basically a, 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 you know, a trust fall onto the apron? That's, that, that is going to be the definitive moment, I think, of that match. And, and the definitive moment of the match is going to be Darby and, and, and some of the stuff that he ended up doing. Or the post-match is what's going to really do it. And, and I think that's exactly what you want out of Darby Allen right now is to prove and, and show people he's a daredevil. That this is a guy that, that, that goes for big wrists. It doesn't always work. He's gonna, a guy that's going to take some big bumps. And that's sort of what he is right now. And that's all you really need to establish is Darby Allen right now. I don't think this needed to be... Darby Allen getting pushed to the moon. I don't think this needed to be Darby Allen. You know, what, what's the next step for Darby Allen? Is he going for a title or whatever? Like, they don't have a shit ton of titles. They don't have a huge sort of array of, of, of stories for every single guy right now. They don't need a big story for every single guy. So the case of this was was Cody sort of moving on, you, you know, in terms of, of surviving the Darby Allen thing. Darby Allen not necessarily losing. I think there's probably a better way. Like, honestly, if it were me, I would have just had Cody beat Darby Allen. I don't think the time limit draw was really necessary. If they felt it was, that's fine. But, like, I again, I don't think Darby Allen would have lost a thing if Cody just put him away with the crossroads at 19 minutes or whatever. I think that would have been perfectly fine. They went this route, but I think it does sort of establish that, hey, Darby was able to hang with Cody. But it kind of felt more like Darby survived and Cody sort of felt like a little bit more of the aggressor at times or whatever. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't love the time limit draw. And I think in more cases, it it... it I don't want to say it hurt because I don't think it hurt Darby at all. I don't think it helped Cody enough where I think a win would have helped Cody enough. But I think Darby, you got what you needed out of Darby. You've proved exactly what he was. And I think people are going to remember now what he is. And the next time you have a match, they're going to know, hey, Darby Allen's the guy who takes crazy bumps. And that's kind of what you want out of Darby Allen right now. And that's what Darby Allen's going to be eventually when, when you know, AEW does sort of do a little bit more with him. So, no, I, I didn't hate the time limit draw. I would have preferred Kobe just put him away. I, I think that's probably the better way to do it. But, you know, I, I can't get too upset about it. Did you like the match? Uh, the match itself, I, a little meandering at times. Uh, it was a little, and and that's you know sometimes Cody matches can get that way. The Cody matches that like it's probably it, it, it's probably worked in a very similar style to the all this match and even the one the match against his brother. But it's when the crowd isn't invested in in every move that those guys make that sometimes the 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 Cody style doesn't quite work, which is sort of this old school style. The I'm gonna build it up, build it up, build it up, big move. Okay, build it up, build it up, big move. That's kind of what his his style is versus you know big move, big move, big move that we're kind of used to these days. And we'll talk about you know obviously the, the six way or the the six man match in the next you know the, that follows it was that which is move, 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 impact, 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 like every single second of the uh, the match, which is, is is fine. That's what that match is. Cody's matches are not going to be that way. So you had a match where people weren't all that invested in Darby Allen. They didn't necessarily care about this. There wasn't really a big feud going on here. So it felt a little slower at times, even though it was probably worked at the exact same pace, like I said, like the Aldis match, like the Dustin match, like a lot of Cody's good matches. It's just sometimes when the crowd doesn't hook, when you can't hook that crowd, that style of match doesn't quite work. So it felt a little meandering. But when those big spots had to happen, they were still big and they still mattered. And and, and the anticipation as the time limit was kind of coming up was pretty cool as well. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. And I enjoyed some of the big pops of this match and the, really the big moves of this match. But at times it did feel like it was kind of laboring a bit. Without addressing the chair shot itself, did the chair shot overshadow Darby? Yeah, it did. I think it did. I mean, I, I think Darby is still going to be remembered for that trust fall and for a few things he did in the match. But I think once that chair shot happened, it established that Darby, ah, okay, you're kind of to the back now. This is the thing that you need to care about right now. And that's, I could see affecting it, but I don't know that that's, 
I I can admit that it did overshadow Darby, but also not get mad that it overshadowed Darby. You, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care right now about Darby. Yeah, like that's not obviously something they're doing. You know, he's a member of the roster. He's going to do his thing. He will come up at, at, at whatever point they do. I love Darby Allen. He's one of my favorite wrestlers going right now, but I'm not too worried about that. I know what they wanted to establish and what they wanted to make more important. So it's one of those things where like, yeah, you can understand and admit that they overshadowed a guy, but then also not be upset that they overshadowed a guy. Like, I'm fine with the direction being 10 guy and Cody. I'm excited about that match now. I don't care what Darby Allen's next step is because I care what Sean Spears and Cody's next step is. And and both those things can happen and be okay. See, I think they accomplished everything they needed to accomplish with Darby. They established number one, that he's out of his fucking mind and will, will has no regard for his body. That's number one. And number two, they established that he's like this never say die. You got to kill him to put him away. Sort of baby face mission accomplished. Okay, they, 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 they accomplished both of those things with this. Okay, so to me, and I put a lot of thought into this, and I kind of wavered both ways. But to me, the ensuing angle did nothing to take away from Darby Allen. Because I think, I, here, I, I think if, if Cody would have like beat Darby Allen in a nice little 13 minute match, and then they did the angle, yeah, then you're kind of just burying Darby, and he becomes an afterthought. But he got to the draw. He, you know, Cody wasn't able to put him away. They established that this guy won't fucking die. And they established that he's an absolute maniac. And here's the other thing that I talked about a little bit last week. We have to get into the mind frame that AEW assumes that you already know a lot of these people. They do. They're not treating their audience like they're stupid. They're not trying to re-explain everybody to the audience. And I think Darby Allen is one of those guys, like Janela, like Moxley, who, who of course Moxley, but like Janela and like some of the others, uh, like the Lucha Bros, where they just assume their audience already knows. You know what I mean? I don't feel like they need to do grand introductions, or they don't feel like they need to do grand introductions for some of these guys, because I think they feel like some of these people they've hired are already firmly established. And I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea of most of the audience knows who these people are and the rest, they'll catch up. It's pro. I talk about this all the time. It's pro wrestling. We're not sending rockets to the moon. I didn't know who Nyla Rose is. I got a good feel for her now. It's like I've been watching wrestling a long time. I don't need to be hammered over the head with who these people are. Okay? I get it. I get what Nyla Rose is about now. Saw her twice. It's all I needed. Okay? But I think they're assuming you already know Darby Allen, and I think this story did enough to where anyone else who's a wrestling fan now understands, oh, okay, this is a little dude, he's a little off-kilter, he's a fucking maniac, and he's hard to beat. I think they got that over with or without the chair shot. Anyway, I don't know. Um, as far as the time of a draw and the match goes, that was a really good match. Um, the, my only problem with the match is they tipped off the draw early. I knew they were going all the way. Early on in the match when Cody was slapping on those side headlocks. Mm-hmm. Look, that's Cody. He's not – and look, that's not just Cody. But, you know, you can tip off um, time limit draws with almost – and even great workers, you know. When, Samoa Joe Brian Danielson had a 60-minute time limit draw in Edison, New Jersey for ROH in 2006. I was there live, and that's two of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And I hated that fucking match because they tipped off the draw within the first 10 minutes. Right, those Joe Punk matches too. I should love them, and I remember like – the idea that those matches were like, oh my god, it's Punk and Joe, and they're you know sixty and 80, 90 minutes or whatever, and I watch them like these matches stink. I hate these matches. Listen, I'm, you and I are the only two people who don't love the Joe Punk matches, and I and I 
did not I, I I legitimately hate that Samoa Joe Bryant. I was a waste of an hour and it sent me home in a bad mood. And I love those guys, but since I because I knew they were going all they were going sixty minutes, I couldn't focus on forty five minutes of it because I already knew and I was like, oh let's just get to the fucking end then and get to this fucking draw or have somebody win in the final minute because I know that's what they're doing. Anyway, this is only a twenty minute match. So you don't need to stall that egregiously. Uh, so they tipped off that they were going all the way. That's my one minor gripe. Otherwise, I like the story of Cody kind of just beating them down and Darby not dying. So it worked for me, and um, I don't mind the draw. I'm with you though. I wonder, you know, Cody probably should just should have beat him. To be honest, that's what I mean. I get- I, he should have just put him away in 19 minutes and have been fine. And 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 Darby, we've talked about Darby before when we've talked about evolving stuff. I really think he's one of these guys that never has to fucking win. No, Jesus, the and best time with the best run that he had in evolve, he just fucking lost for like eight months lost. straight. Like, yeah. and and I almost feel like he's one of those guys where it's better off if all he does is lose. Right, Hanma style, just like you Hanma want him style, so exactly. badly to win, and it's like, damn, he just killed himself and he lost again. God damn it! Like, yes. And it's like, yeah, you you know, you build them up for an eventual big win here or there. Absolutely. You know, if you time it right, those could be gigantic matches and gigantic moments. But for the most part, Darby Allen's one of those guys where it's better if he constantly loses. Anyway, let's get to the chair shot. Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling, $5 tier. The latest edition of the Intelligentsia. I go on a half hour spirited, I'll leave it at that, rant. I didn't expect to get that excited about uh, what I had to say, but I ended up just losing my mind um, talking about the chair shot. So you can hear my very detailed thoughts on that behind the paywall, which means I'm going to let Rich predominantly carry this segment, and I'm just going to bounce my thoughts (laughs) of what his thoughts are off of what Rich has to say. Um, I don't know how to set it up for you. The chair shot, Rich, are you disgusted are you okay with it? Um, talk about it from any angle you want. Go ahead. Right. So I, I think my, my angle, and for people that have listened to the show for years and years and years and years, you know what I think about the dangers of wrestling, the quote-unquote dangers of wrestling or whatever. It is dangerous. Anytime you step in the ring, anytime you take a back bump, anytime you're jumping off the top rope, anytime you're doing anything in the ring, you're rattling your brain. You're causing issues to your brain. And and we've all kind of, it, it, probably by WWE's, instruction in, in a lot of ways similar to how the nfl has sort of done the same thing too the nfl has made everybody think that hey a big hit that's what causes concussions that's what causes head trauma WWE has sort of said oh it's the chair shots it, i knew it was that before it was anything else it was the chair shots and all that is is a way to get and, and again i'm not like being a conspiracy theorist either do some reading do some research look at this the nfl has, has done many many things of this don't watch the concussion movie because that's a, a total fucking lie and the name of it's a lie as well it's it, for cte which i saw that getting passed around a shit ton on sunday cte is 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 not necessarily concussions. CT is not necessarily a big hit, a chair shot to the head or that sort of stuff. CT is is the constant rattling of the brain that just damages it to, over time. And, and that's what causes many uh, of these issues in the NFL in terms of linemen, in terms of, uh, of, of running backs, in terms of people just getting their brains rattled time in and time in and after and after and constantly, constantly. It's like repeated headshots, repeated stuff, similar to wrestlers, repeated falls, on a mat, like a repeatedly <laughs> hitting your head somewhere is going to cause those issues time and time again. People sort of decided that chair shots are the reason that people have concussions. Chair shots are the reason Chris Benoit killed his family. You know, chair shots are the reason this 
this person was was unhealthy or whatever is is and and no our chair shots that had good no they're absolutely not good you should not be balls mahoney you should not be a guy whose entire thing is relied upon of getting hit in the head every single fucking moment like they shouldn't be done every single night on raw they shouldn't be done in the first hour of raw just to get some shitty angle over or whatever they don't need to be done all the time but the idea that it's like oh my god you can't do this if you do this like people are gonna die and 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 people are gonna murder their families and this is why ct exists like all that going around is just you're not you you don't know what you're talking about so just stop that is not what ct is unprotected chair shots and ct are not the same thing <laughs> you know unprotected chair shots and, and even concussions are not necessarily the same thing yes you can get a concussion from an unprotected chair shot or you cannot get a concussion from an unprotected chair shot you can get a lot of other things you can get damn it like fucking cut up like cody got cut up again i don't want to see them all the time i don't think they're very useful in in random things but i think they do have their place in, in wrestling when done at the exact right time and i know people are gonna say ah it's just you guys are saber rattling for AEW or whatever if they did this on every if, if on the pre-show this happened and two other times in the show that happened i would say this is fucking stupid what are you guys doing if this is the only unprotected chair shot they do for the next nine months the next year the next two years this is the only one they ever do in their history that's fine as long as the guys walk away okay and they understand the risks that they take and and from what everything that we've heard, whether they're lying or not, that this chair was designed to not be as impactful or whatever. And as long as Cody got tested and Cody's aware of the issues and all that sort of stuff, then I'm fine with it. It's their bodies. If they want to do what they're going to do, that's fine. If that's how he chooses to, to, to tell his story, if that's how he chooses to do his art, then that's how he chooses to do his art. Like, I'm not going to be here and, and and tell him that he can't do this or tell him, oh, well, this is a, just an absolute disgrace because that that just comes from ignorance. Like, you don't know the issues. Like, you you just, it, it's, I see this like, oh, this is why CT exists. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. Unpredicted chair shots are not why Chris Benoit killed his family. <laughs> like, I know you can think that all you want. Uh, diving headbutts every single fucking night, you know, rattling your brain every single night, abusing steroids, you know, abusing painkillers, doing whatever you do. That's going to lead to a lot of issues, way more than one unprotected chair shot so far in this company's history. I mean, that, again, if he does it every single night, I'm going to say you're an idiot. You're really dumb. If Darby Allen does that coffin drop every single time, then I'm going to tell him he's an idiot and he needs to change. But for one little angle, for one little thing, it's not that big of a deal. And again, if he gets tested and he's aware, that's the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing with the NFL. It's the biggest thing with wrestling. If guys know, hey, look, there are dangers to doing this. Are you okay with it? And they're okay with it. Then, you know, similar to the Naito Ibushi thing. I'm not going to sit here on my on my soapbox and say, oh, my God, I, I, I can't do this. Like, I'm just not going to do that. It, 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 it's, if this is how they want to tell their story and this is how they're going to tell their art, I'm fine with it. But again, there is overdoing it. I don't disagree that there is a way to overdo it and it is not safe if it's being done every single night. If it's being done one time for an angle to really put this angle over as being something serious and being something really you know, traumatizing, then I don't I, I don't hate it. I really do enjoy it. And I, I like the chair shot. I thought that was really cool. Knowing that now Cody was okay and that he was fine and that he's able to kind of move on and didn't have a concussion, did all that sort of stuff, that's fine with me. I'm cool with it then. The gash is not great. Obviously, you don't want the gash, but I'm sure Cody is very happy with how that went across. It came across as actually dangerous. It came across as actually unsafe, and it came across like Sean Spears is a sort of unhinged guy, and you made him a serious dude right off the bat. You made 10 guy into a very serious person. So, yeah, it, it, to me, I don't hate it. And 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 people are – I see a lot of Twitter medical experts, again, getting on their rants and getting on their soapbox and stuff. I will just say, educate yourself if you're going to do that. Know what the hell you're talking about before you start spotting off CTE and concussions and all that sort of stuff. So I'm not an expert either. I'm not a doctor either, but I've done a shit ton of reading about it and a shit ton of, of listening to, to different things and reading books and doing all that sort of stuff. Do the same if you're going to sit there and talk about CTE and all that sort of stuff. So that's it. That's what I'll say. A lot of these people are concern trolls and safety nerds. And, uh, and, and you know, they're people who 
you know, you want to get on a, they're anti AEW and they want to get on for so long. Oh, chair shot to the head. That's easy. So they're concern trolls. And then the other half of them are just safety nerds who, you know, they whine about all this stuff. You know, we just went through with Naito Ibushi. And, and, and that, look, to me, the chair shot was awesome. It was a great angle, an awesome looking chair shot. And I think the blood was a, was a happy accident. That's an added bonus. Well, that's I mean, Cody was probably so happy that it happened. Like, he's a oh weirdo. He's definitely, I, I think I put on Twitter, I said, Cody is definitely his father's son. You don't think he walked in the back and said, fuck yeah, look at this oh, they, Hell oh yeah. <laughs> like, they walked out with the blood. It added something. It added right. another element to the angle. And it's just, a, it's just fucking stitches. It's a superficial wound. We know that he wasn't concussed. And that's the other thing. We know it was a gimmick chair. We know he wasn't concussed. We know that he's fine, and we're still whining about it. You know, it's just, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's just uh, the safety nerds. They just love to whine about this. And, and I'm, I'm with you. And the subscribers heard this already, but again, the large majority of people listening aren't subscribers. I'll go over my key points, okay? Um, the occasional chair shot to the head, I got no problem with it. None whatsoever. When done effectively like this one in a if it's a major angle and it's important and it gets people over and it accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish the crowd was solemn you they got the perfect and you know why they were because we don't see chair shots to the head very often anymore now when you do do them they're even more impactful than they were before it's like the perfect thing to do to get an angle over now because we don't see them and because there is this perception that they're the ultimate, most dangerous thing you can, they're the most taboo thing in wrestling, right? Is a chair shot to the head. So when you do it, it really gets people's attention. That makes it like even more worthwhile to do it every now and then. Again, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I am not condoning doing it every night. Right. I'm not advocating. No, we are not saying that that would be absolutely stupid. Do not do that. No, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see 1995 ECW. That we've grown past. The occasional one to put over an angle, absolutely no problem with it, okay? Because uh, that looked great. How did Gato's little chair shot to Okada's back look? I mean, we're mocking it. You know, it's like this This was a phenomenal angle. They lucked out with the cut to the back of the head. Um, and, and, you know, I laid out my issues with it on the pace side. I don't like that they showed – they shouldn't have showed a single replay. I want your opinion on that. They shouldn't – and let me catch other people up. And then I want your take. I don't think they should have showed a single replay because after the chair shot, you have the announcers, you know, putting over how fucking disgusting this act was by Sean Spears and, uh, and how they couldn't believe what they were seeing. Cody spurting blood out of the back of his head. They're telling you how net they're talking about CTE and concussions and how gross this was. And Spears is a maniac. And, and, and then they show you a thousand replays from a, from a thousand different angles. And it's kind of like, well, if it was this gross, egregious, disgusting act why are you emphasizing it i think they could have gotten it over stronger by not showing it again and have jim ross out there going ah fans we're not going to show you a replay of that because we don't think fans should be subject that's how you put it over not by showing us a thousand different angles of cody turning his head and showing us that it didn't hit him flush right i want to believe that it hit him flush i want to believe that he almost fucking died don't show me the reap don't fucking it's it's like it's the magician showing you the trick. I don't believe they should have showed a single replay. Where do you stand on that? 
I 100% agree. I would have loved if they just said, oh, no, don't, you know, even if they started showing it, maybe show one and then they say, okay, no, don't show that ever again. Like, we don't want to see that again. Like, what a vile act. I think that would have put it over a little bit more, like you're saying, showing it time and time and time again. Like, by the seventh time, I'm like, ah, you know what? That wasn't that bad. Like, and the guy started realizing that the gash was on the other side of his head, not the side that got hit. I started seeing him turn away. I could kind of see a little bit of it hit his shoulder on the way up to. And, and yeah, like you're saying, I would have thought, oh my God, if that just was like one time we see it and they're just like, don't show that again. And the guns, I'm I'm 100 with you. I think they they way overshowed that replay, and 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 didn't need to emphasize it more any more than they did. You know, just the one time it happens, and then just have the announcer sort of tell the tale that okay, they're not comfortable with this. You can tell that Cody's obviously hurt from it. Sean Spears is going through the crowd. I mean, that is enough to kind of get the angle over. I, I think showing it seven, eight, nine times or whatever, however many times they did, uh, just didn't help. It was the law of diminishing returns. You know, the first it, time it really yes, feels it, good. It, By the yeah. seventh time, you're like, all right, whatever. It's not that bad of a thing. And and again, that's what we're talking about with, with the chair shots. Like it's a law of diminishing returns. Chair shots yes. to the head are dangerous because it can cause a gash. It can cause a concussion. It can cause many, many issues. We are not saying that that's not true. I am not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying that anybody is saying that, oh, my God, a chair shot could actually hurt you. Of course it can hurt you. It absolutely can. The idea, though, is the law of diminishing returns. If you can do, if the person and both people are aware, hey, we're going to do this one thing, it's risky, it could cause an issue, but maybe it doesn't, but we're going to do this one thing to get this thing over, to make this thing a big deal and make the people interested in it, then yes, I am for it and I'm okay with it and I'm fine with it as long as everybody involved knows what's going on, everybody involved knows the risks and that the people involved in it know that, hey, when I'm done with this, I should go get tested. I should just make sure, hey, I'm going to get checked out by a doctor. Make sure that's the big issue with having it happen in, in 1995 ECW is that Paul's Mahoney would have a concussion and they would just say, ah, fuck it, whatever. He'd drink a bunch of beer and then go do it the next night. That's the issue. <laughs> the issue isn't that he took a chair shot to the head. The issue is that he never got any help for doing it and did it every single night. And we talk about the law of diminishing returns. The 19 time Bobbles Mahoney got hit in the head with a chair in a match, it didn't matter anymore. He Nobody cares that anymore. Yeah. If if everybody involved cares and everybody involved knows the risks and knows the dangers and knows to get checked out and doctors know and doctors are on hand and yada, 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 all that sort of stuff. And so there's knowledge of, hey, this is dangerous, but the reward might be that people are really into this match. Then then that is what you want out of that. That is the goal. Se doing it seven times. Like if Sean Spears hit him in the head nine times after that, nobody like by the ninth time, you're like, OK, you're fucking dumb. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, nobody cares about the chair shot anymore. And you're just getting hurt for no reason. You're just causing potential danger to yourself without much benefit. This was the risk of potential danger for the high potential value of it being a great angle, which I think did pay off. And again, like, yeah, if they don't do it for nine more years again, or if they never do it again, we'll remember that this one chair shot, oh my God, that really set the stage for like a completely different thing. But again, if they do it every single week on TV, yeah, I will be here saying, hey, you guys are being dumb. You're you're, you're not getting the, the value. The, the risk reward factor is not good if you're doing this every single week. If you're doing it one time in a few years, it is. Can we stop ignoring that he's fine? You know, that's well, a bad thing. That's a bad thing that he's fine, I think. That, yeah. ma that matters here. It matters that he's fine and that he got stitched up and then was producing the show. And they're tweeting out that he's producing the show, which I have another issue with that we'll get to. But can we, can we not ignore that he's fine? That's important here. What is pro wrestling? What is the essence of pro wrestling? Okay. It's working people into thinking shit is dangerous, but everybody's safe. Right? I mean, really, that's the essence of it. Fooling people into thinking that you're beating a man up, but you're not really beating him up, but you're making it look convincing. Okay, that look convincing as fuck, and he's fine. So what's the issue? That's perfect pro wrestling, and it got over. So I have no idea what we're complaining about here. I mean, I have an idea, but you get what I'm saying. It's like he's fine. Mission accomplished again. In terms of this, now here's what I don't like. Okay, 
can you let us enjoy it as fans for longer than 10 minutes before you tell us it was all bullshit? Before you come out there and scream to everybody that Cody doesn't have a concussion, and here's a picture of Cody out of the official – see, here's the counterargument people are making to me. Oh, well, it was Tony Khan saying he didn't have a concussion and Tony Khan saying that the chair was gimmicked during the press scrum. It's not part of canon. First of all, if you put it out there, it's going to be part of – if you're at the official press scrum of the event, I'm sorry. That's going to be part of canon. Number two, there – Twitter account tweeted out Cody producing the show with the staples in his head, showing us that he was fine. So they made it part of canon that this chair shot didn't do any damage. Okay? And can you let us as fans suspend our disbelief for 10 fucking minutes before you pull the curtain back and let us know that, that, that the guy is fine? Okay? And I said this behind the paywall and I'll say it again. Okay? Once he went through concussion protocol... And once it was determined that Cody was okay, here's what I would have done. I would have grabbed Sean Spears. I would have put him in a room. I would have handed him a chair with some blood on it. And I would have had him stand there with the bloody chair and cut, and cut a six-minute promo along the lines of, Cody's laying in a hospital room with a concussion. If anyone gets in my way, I'm going to put him in the bed right next to him. And if Cody comes back at me, I'm going to finish the job and knock his fucking head off his shoulders. That's what I would have done. Play it up. Tell us Cody's in, in, in the hospital. Tell us Cody might not make it to fight for the Fallen, the team with Dustin against the Bucks. Work me. It's fine because you know he's okay. Don't worry about concerned trolls and safety nerds. Why are you worried about what people are tweeting? Who gives a shit? These people are all going to watch Fight for the Fallen. I guarantee it. Okay? You know how I know? Because I see the NFL's ratings. Everyone complains about the NFL and the head injuries, yet the ratings keep going up. I see the NHL Stanley Cup final doing record ratings. Rich, this is something people whine about but don't really care about. And I've got facts to back me up. And AEW is so scared of offending anyone. And I knew this would be a problem from day one when they positioned themselves as the woke wrestling promotion, which I told you was going to end up being a mistake. And it's going to bite them in the ass again, worse than this at some point. You'll see. Okay. I knew this would be a problem. And they're so afraid to upset or offend anyone that they're out there destroying their own angles. Tony Khan at that press scrum should have said, yeah, Cody's in bad shape, man. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. And there's ways to do that. As soon as you, if you would have, if you would have had Sean Spears cut a promo bragging about concussing Cody Rhodes, anyone with a brain would know he wasn't concussed. Well, <laughs> but you're not. But you're not throwing it in our face. Right. You, do you see what I'm saying? Like once they turn it into an angle, you know he's okay. But at least turn, continue the angle. Plant the seed of doubt. Allow me to suspend this belief if I want to. Fuck, don't tell anyone the chair was gimmicked. And here's my point. If you're that concerned, then don't do the fucking angle to begin with. If you can't take the heat, get the fuck out of the kitchen and don't do the angle. If you don't want to take the heat, then do not do chair shots to the head. If you're going to do a chair shot to the head, ignore the complainers and just do your angle and live with it. What do you think? I mean, am I crazy for thinking that? If, if you're going to do these kind of angles, just do them. 
if you want to be the woke promotion and worried about what the safety nerds think, then please don't waste my time as a viewer. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, and that's that's my gripe with it. Yeah, yeah, and again, like it speaks to what you were talking about at the top, where maybe there are different people. Up, but but the, here's the thing: because I don't need it, Rich. I don't yeah. need the chair shots to the head. But if you're gonna give them to me, then fucking sell them and work me. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like either do them and go all out with it. I don't need this mealy mouth shit where you're gonna do dangerous angles and then cut the fucking balls off of them an hour later in a press conference. That's where I'm. That's what upsets me. And I can't believe I lost my mind again for the second time. <laughs> Listen to the first rant, uh, voicewrestling.com slash Patreon. But I, I think it, uh, some of it may speak to what you talked about at the top of the, when we were talking about the fighter fest of, of maybe that you have a few different camps here where, where Cody's like, Hey, fuck it. I'm doing this thing and whatever. And that maybe you have whoever it may be. Uh, again, Matt's Jackson, Tony this time Khan, say, Matt Jackson and Tony Khan go, ah, geez, this is kind of shitty. Like let's, and let's maybe go out Tony there. Says, hey man, I got to go to Turner and explain why you're exactly. Bad yeah. Right. So I don't know. I, it, maybe it speaks to that. It maybe, but again, it, if that's the case, then Tony Khan needs to go up to Cody and say, I own this thing. No chair shots. Right. Yeah. Cut the shit. And, and, and I'm going to make you come through me before you do anything. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Cause you're right. I mean, I think, Cody, in a lot of ways, I think is old school enough where he would probably want to sell that thing and 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 have Spears do the bloody promo and 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 be knocked out, quote unquote, for the rest of the day. Whereas I could see someone like a Tony Khan or even the Bucks or Omega or whatever being a little bit more transparent about it. Cody is not a very he he is again his father's son. He's he's all about being sort of the work, and and I could see those other guys not being necessarily that. So again, it's this sort of weird, you know, what 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 are what is this company going to be? And this might have been another example of like you know, different people having different objectives and, and different ways of telling the story of wrestling. They, sh I mean, I can't believe their own Twitter account tweeted out him sitting there in a fucking, uh, you know, windbreaker fucking producing the show. They should have tweeted out him laying in a hospital bed. What are we doing here? This is pro wrestling. I, I, I don't know. It drives you nuts. Anything else on the chair shot? Uh, no, that's it. All right. So we had the six man. Omega and the Bucks versus the Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid. And to me, I have the same exact thoughts I had about the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros from, from Double or Nothing, which was this was meant to be a wild, insane, out-of-control spot fest to pop the live crowd and to pop people who've never seen this kind of match before. You and I have seen this kind of match countless times, um, literally dozens and dozens of times. So it may not have had the same effect on us. I still appreciated it for what it was. I think all of these guys are fucking phenomenal. But um, look, I thought this was exactly what it was supposed to be. And every time I see a match like this, I think about Mark Henry on Busted Open saying that the Young Bucks versus Lucha Brothers tag from Double or Nothing was the best tag team match he's ever seen. And I extrapolate that to the rest of the new audience who's never seen this kind of match um, th having the same thoughts. So that's what I thought about this. It was basically a redo of the match we just saw at Double or Nothing. And I and until they start integrating the Bucks into some storylines, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, and I, I, that's kind of what my thoughts were, too. I, I mentioned it on Twitter where, where I think my exact tweet was similar to what you were just saying. is like, essentially, hey, I really, you know, I, I see why some people are going to love this match. But maybe I'm not that guy anymore because I've seen this match a thousand times already. And it's like you could still admire the work and still know it was – I mean, still, it was a great match. But I just didn't 
care all that much because it's like, yeah, I've seen most of this stuff. You know, there's a few spots that I saw where they were pretty cool, but this style of match, I'm starting to get a little, I, I don't know. I don't want to say bored by him, but a little bit like, all right, let's see some new stuff. Let's see some different stuff. But I understand that I'm maybe not the target audience for that. I'm somebody who's seen Pentagon Jr. live, you know, a thousand times now in the last two years. I'm somebody who's seen Phoenix live a bunch of times. I've seen the Bucks live a bunch of times. I've seen Omega live a bunch of times. Where if you've seen those guys and you know kind of what they are, it, it, you're not going to be surprised by this style of match. But in the same sense, you might not be as into it because it's not going to be anything new. It's not going to be anything mind-blowing. And that's what this one was again. I was like, all right, cool. Very well worked. I get why they did it. I'm sure there's somebody out there. There's another Mark Henry out there that went, oh, my God, I can't believe what these guys are doing. But I'm at the point now where I'm just like, all right, cool. I'm ready for something different. I'm ready to see a different style of match out of Pentagon. I'm ready to see Phoenix do a little bit more. I'm ready for the Bucks to see a little bit more. I'm ready for Kenny sort of uh, grow a little bit as a worker. And, and and I think they will. I don't think they're going to do this style of match for the next 20 years or whatever. But to me personally, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm ready for something new while also understanding that it's good. It's not like it sucked and it was bad and it was garbage. It's just like, all right, I've seen this kind of match a lot. It's good. It's really, really good. But again, like the law of diminishing returns, the eighth time I've seen a really, really good match between the Bucks and, and, and you know, Penna and, and, and Phoenix, it's it's not going to be as good as the first or second time I saw it. And, that, and that's where I'm at with it. Okay, so we had Moxley Janela in the main event. Oh, I'm sorry, Rich. This was not the main event. The uh, six-man match was the main event. Yes. It, this was lights out. The right? lights went out, Joe, and can we I, had a uh, unofficial. Can I bury match. this? Can I'll go I ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got Meltzer splained by Meltzer himself. <laughs> you got literally Meltzer splained. Yes, I got literally Meltzer splained. Uh, by you know when I buried the lights out stip, a stipulation that historically I've never liked. I don't get it. I think it's stupid. If it, at best it's antiquated. I can kind of see where maybe in the 70s or the early 80s where, you know, shows weren't on TV and it was just for the arena fans. And I, I and, and maybe a few more people were still fucking thinking this shit was legit. OK. In 2000 fucking 19, the idea of a lights out match and doing that hokey bullshit where you flick the lights off and turn them back on. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to believe that this match is more dangerous than it was before. I mean, it's just an antiquated, dated, hokey, dumb stipulation, okay? I know what a Lights Out match is. I didn't need to be Meltzer explained on it. I just think it's corny. And I think it comes off corny in a modern setting. Whenever they do this, it just ends up being a falls count anywhere, no DQ fucking just plunder match. And that's all this was. You're not adding any element of danger by flicking the light switch on and off, okay? This isn't 1979. All right, it's it's just silly. It comes off hokey to have Justin Roberts talking in his serious voice as the lights go off, and then they go out there and you just could have called this no DQ. You could have called this uh, false count anywhere. You could have called it fucking hardcore. You could have called it a fucking Orlando street fight, and it doesn't. And and you get the same effect. So you know the stipulation's goofy, and I don't care who wants to argue with me. And then once I got Meltzer explained, I got all those. Old school Meltzer subscribers, you know, the kind of guys who listen to the Cornette podcast and they're all burying me because, you know, uh, lights out. You know, well, it, maybe it was great in fucking 1982, but it's fucking <laughs> right. stupid now. I mean, it doesn't add any element. This was just Cody nodding to his old man. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, absolutely. And and I think one of the things, too, that, that hurts it, where we're in 1982 when it's just an arena or whatever, it's a lot easier to just do it and be like, oh, this is unofficial. But when you have a, a full-on production like, you know, Fighter Fest was, yeah, and it's like, this is it. This is the final thing. And then, all right, here's a promo video. Here's the music. Here's our referees. Here's lighting grids. Like, I honestly, if you want to do it, I think you could pull it off a little bit better if you go, hey, look, 
the, the screen's getting turned off, the lights are getting turned off, and we're not playing music for these guys. And if they want to go out here and wrestle, that's fine, but we're not going to be a part of it. And, and I think that's a way to really, if you really want to drive it home, it's like it might be a shock to everyone's system to see, oh, my God, but I would have turned off the Titantron. I would have turned off the, the lights. I would have not played any music. I'd have, Maybe keep Justin Roberts out there if he wants to say Joey Janela and John Moxley. But, man, I, I have the lights get dim. I basically just say, look, no, we're not going to give you production. You know, you're going to have to get your own referee or whatever. Maybe there's no referee. I, I don't know how you do it, but there's more ways to do it than just say this is a lights out match flick the lights and it's like all right cool here we go <laughs> and it's like jelly janela comes out with his video and his music and all the lights and all the smoke and and moxie got his it has his pyro his the fucking pyro it's a lights out match yeah. it's unsanctioned and he's got fucking pyro like not don't do that like if you want to call it that i think you could pull it off but you got to really invest in it you have to say okay look it is when we say lights yes. out like we're shutting everything off you know maybe yeah there's lights that are still gonna be out in the arena we don't want people to not be able to see the match but man we're not getting intro videos we're not getting music there's no fucking pyro are you out of your mind pyro are you kidding me uh the you know any sort of strobe lights any sort of that that stuff shut off and it's just like guys come out there to no music they get in the ring they fight i'm fine with that zero bells and whistles a referee that is not wearing an AEW shirt um you can even fake sign off and then have the announcers a second later say, all right, well, if you'd like to, you know, keep watching or whatever, we're going to talk you through this. No fucking, no stage lights on, no entrance music, a fucking indie geek in a t-shirt as the referee, just count the fall. Absolutely. Then at least you're putting effort into it. Flicking the lights on and off. Don't waste my time. It's a dopey stipulation and it's dumb. As for the match, look, I thought it was awesome. You know, you got Joey Janela jumping off the top of a ladder through two tables on the floor. You got barbed wire all over the place. You got Moxley spitting out fucking thumbtacks that are accidentally falling into his mouth. It's everything I, that you want out of a crazy plunder match, you know, and you knew it would be with Janela involved. So um, I thought the match worked. I know there's some critique that they didn't really have a very long feud to kind of build to this kind of blow off match. But listen, the promotion is two shows old. I mean, you got to cut them a little bit of a break there. If they're having... Falls count anywhere, lights out matches, three years into the promotion on a one-show build, I think that's a valid critique. But, you know, what do you want them to do? They've got to, you know, give you stuff on these shows that people want to see. And it's like, you didn't have any time to really, you can't, they've had two shows. They had one show before this one. So I'm not going to get on them too hard for that. Um, You know, they cut their little promos on each other after double or nothing. That's good enough for me. And the match was, you know, a visual spectacle. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not too into the criticism that, like, oh my god, they didn't do enough to build this up. Because I think the idea is these two guys are just unhinged idiots, and they would just probably do this regardless. Like, like that, and that's sort of what you want to address. That Moxley's just a fucking weirdo, and and, and Janelle is a maniac too. So that like these idiots, instead of just having a wrestling match, would just go out there and throw thumbtacks at each other and do all this sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I didn't really hate that all that much. I, I get the understanding, but this didn't feel to me like a. This is all you know. This is the final chapter of this feud. Is that we need to do a, a, a match where there's thumbtacks or whatever? I just felt that it was like two fucking idiots throwing thumbtacks at each other and i i think that's the thing that they want to address that's what i think they wanted to address from the road to to fighter fest and all the all all the build up to this match is that it wasn't necessarily a blood feud in the end of a feud but just that that's how these guys apply their craft like this is what janela does and this is what you know we've seen it from all the time with janela from if you go back to all in that's kind of his vibe and and moxie they're trying to establish that that's his vibe again too going back to the days of czw and stuff and his deathmatch roots or whatever so i'm fine with it. it it didn't really it didn't really affect me all that much and it wasn't like it was a crazy insane death match either it was a little bit more of a brawl that just happened to have some weapons in it too so i wasn't too uh too worried about that but i, I really liked it as well it speaks to the point i made earlier where they assume that the viewer knows what's going you know what the build was for this match the last 
fucking seven years when Joey Janela was the spiritual successor to John Moxley on the indie scene. Right. That, that was the build to this. He replaced, he took Moxley's role as the fucking unhinged maniac who will jump through two panes of glass in the back of a flatbed truck and, you know, who will, you know, do anything. And that was the build. It was the guy that came before the next guy facing each other for the first time in a plunder match. So it's like, again, this had build. It just didn't have build within the confines of AEW. It had build within uh, the context of you being a big wrestling fan who knows who these guys are and know, and understands why they would want to wrestle each other. So there's that aspect to it too. But overall, we're, we got to get some other topics in, so we have to move on. I thought Fighter Fest as what do you want as their version of class of the champions or in your house? I've heard it. Described yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Kind of in your house. I think definitely the in your house uh, vibe to it, whatever you wanted to see. I thought it was a hit. I thought they had another thumbs up show. I mean, they're two for two and I got to be honest coming off of these two shows. I know this is not reality and it's never going to happen. And I'm not suggesting that they should do it. There's a small part of me that wishes that AEW was a promotion that had these kind of shows every three, four or five weeks and didn't have TV Mm -hmm. because this is so much fun every few weeks watching a show like this that, you know, is going to deliver. You got show to show storylines and man, this, this is working. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm afraid that the TV is going to fuck it up because I like what we're seeing from them. And I like that. Like right when I'm hankering for more, the next show is coming. You know what I mean? It's like you get that. You're like, oh, wow. You get over the last one and you're like, oh, well, they got another one next week. This is great. So I don't know. What were your overall quickly, your overall blanket thought of the show? I was definitely thumbs up. I think I enjoyed Double or Nothing a little bit more uh, as a total show, whereas this like on paper felt like it was going to be a little bit better. But I think it didn't maybe deliver to the high expectations that I had. But no, I mean, they're definitely two for two. Uh, in my mind and I, I i'm with you too it's like i'm kind of worried about the tv like i'm actually like like i just i i'm so used to tv wrestling being bad because it's been bad for so long and and it feels like it's hard to really do good tv wrestling so i'm i'm really kind of nervous for the tv and i'm fine if they were just like you said like a super promotion that just showed up every few you know weeks with these gigantic mega shows i'd be awesome i'd really love it but it's you know not obviously a very viable <laughs> business option so i see what they're gonna do but no i think uh Ultimately, between these two shows, two thumbs up shows, I, I, I slot double or nothing slightly above Fighter Fest, but uh, this was definitely uh, almost as good, but not not maybe quite to the, the the standards of double or nothing. Enjoyable night of wrestling. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Easy watch. Good transition to a show we definitely didn't forget about: Ring of Honor Best in the World 2019. Uh, Rich, was this an enjoyable night of wrestling? Uh, okay, here's the thing: <laughs> Best in the World. Um, it was fine. Like I, and this is the thing that I have with the Ring of Honor shows now. I sit down and I watch them, and I get upset at some of the booking, and I go, "Why are you doing that? Why are you doing? Oh, oh, god, you idiots! What do you? No, what? No, no, not no. Stop! What are you doing? But then, at the, ultimately, like the matches are always fine. Like the matches are always good because they have a very talented roster, and everybody goes out there and works pretty hard. And and ultimately, yeah, you're gonna have a few stinkers here and there, but it's not like anything's horrible on these shows. It's just not good, and I'm just not invested in it, and it feels lifeless. It just feels like this, this as a one-off show, you enjoy watching it, but when it's over, you're just kind of like, ah, like what was what? Did, like it was fine, but why did I watch that? Like I don't know. It, it's I don't feel like I wasted my time, but I also feel like I wasted my time. Does that make any sense? They're in such a weird spot, Ring of Honor, right now. I just I can't. The, the show was fine, but I also didn't like it. It's that's where they're. Um, that's where I'm at with them. It, it's it's they can both deliver, but then also disappoint me at the same time. Yeah, I mean, 
I watched this show right before we 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 um, we slapped record on this show, so I didn't watch it in real time, and I, I was expecting it to be a lot worse than it was, just based on the way people were reacting to it. But because Bell to Bell, it wasn't like a bad show at all. I think there were three matches I didn't like, and one of those three matches, like you really did like. So um, I think consensus-wise, there was maybe two bad matches on the whole show. That would be the Women of Honor match in the main event, right? I mean, everything else was pretty good. I personally didn't like Gresham Silas Young, but you did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, yeah, there's something about Ring of Honor right now where even though all the matches were decent, and I didn't think there were any blowaway matches. To me, the best match was the six-man tag match because I thought it was just a really fun spot fest. Mm-hmm. I'd agree, yeah. And, you know, I could I could see going, you know, notebook on that, like a low four, you know, just for how fun it was. Um, and everything else was like between three and three and a half or three and three and a quarter. Everything else, um, you know, everything, you know, nothing was really terrible. But, yeah, it's just the aura around the company and the booking. And it's starting to reflect in business. They're about to have a disastrous house in Hammerstein. Um, it's just, you know, disastrous. They're, the next set of TV tapings, they've sold like less than 100 tickets. Mm-hmm. The last but, Chicago shot I know from people that were there live just being like, oh, my God, this is a bloodbath. I mean, this is no I mean, they 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 went from, you know, nearly selling that place out. I mean, there was there was a few years ago that Kenny Omega Yoshihashi match. They announced that match. They announced that Kenny Omega was going to be there and they sold out the, the Odium, which was the old venue that ECW used to run uh, in the Chicago area. Uh, this last one was like nobody in the stands. Nobody, I mean, it was basically floor and the floor went back about four or five rows. By the time I went there, the floor went back about 13 rows and the stands were filled too. So it was, it was a bloodbath. Yeah. And I mean, they've killed New York. They're killing Chicago. They are killing Milwaukee. Um, they're holding on for dear life in Baltimore and Toronto. Um, they're going to burn out Baltimore because they, you know, they're moving shows to Baltimore just because they could sell a few more tickets there and they're going to overdo the market. Um, they're going to saturate the market and it, it, it's, it's, you know, they brought in all this new talent at the beginning of the year and we praise them for at least bringing in Roosh and PCO and, and, um, and PJ black and, 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 um, and Bandito and, you know, go right down the list and they're like, okay, all right, look, they're spending some money and they're trying, you know, with the loss of the Brody King, Brody King as well, Brody King. And it's like, they're pushing all of them to some extent. It's just the Roosh push is too slow. He's working the pre-show. We're six months in, seven months in, and he's still working the pre-show match. No excuse for that. Um, you know, it's like PCO and Brody King are in a six-man tag deal with Skrull. and seem to be locked into that. Bandito had a chance to win a title, and he lost on this show. So it's like the pushes for these guys are, are – I mean, they're pushing them all to some degree, but it's just so slow, and it seems to only be to a certain level. And I do believe the goal, I do believe ultimately that Roosh is going to beat Taven for the title, I think, but who knows? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> but it's like, um, you know, in Cobb, and we'll get to him, and it's like, I sat here and watched this show, and I didn't regret watching it. I didn't feel like I wasted right. my time. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. And I saw some good wrestling, um, but... It's 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 like a it, it's beginning to be like a soulless environment, mm-hmm. and it really has the feel of like 1986 AWA, and I say that because 
AWA got fleeced of all their talent by Vince McMahon in 84 and 85. Really, 83 through 85. Yeah, 84 and 85. And, of course, the big get was Hogan, of course. And in 86, the AWA roster was still pretty loaded. And they were still doing okay business, but were clearly, you know, clearly business that was declined. And most people at the time knew what was coming. You know, and it's like the comparisons even run deeper. Like you could compare the elite in this analogy to Hogan, where everyone knew when Ring of Honor lost the elite, they were in big, big trouble. Rich, we talked about it for years. Everyone knew when Vern lost Hogan, he was in big, big trouble, right? But Vern counterattacked. He brought in Sergeant Slaughter, who had the dispute with Vince McMahon over the Hasbro thing. And Slaughter was the number two babyface behind Hogan in 85 when, 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 he, when he left, you know? And, 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 you know, and that looked like a good get. He brought in Jimmy Snuka, who had his problems with McMahon. It's like it's very similar to this company bringing in Roosh and Bandito and all these guys we just named and Jeff Cobb. You know, AWA restocked upon with Sergeant Slaughter and Jimmy Snuka and, and, and Larry Zabisco later on. And um, but we all the writing was on the wall. And 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 you know, it's almost like I'm not even sure nineteen eighty six AWA is the best comparison to this point, because Ring of Honor with the dire ticket situation that they're in, they might be more eighty seven, eighty eight AWA at this point. <laughs> Yeah, it may have accelerated past 86 by now. And, it, and it's uh, like, and, and you made a good point too. It's like Matt Taven is a lot like late era AWA Larry Zabisco in that you have these two champions who just, it's like Zabisco was the AWA champ in the dying days. And he had those horrible matches where he would stall. And, that's you know, right. <laughs> Yeah, and he seemed like he was like over as a heel, but he really wasn't because nobody was buying tickets. Sounds a little familiar, right? It's right. Like- well, his, his most valuable asset, which I'll get to it when I get to Taven, is the most valuable asset of Larry at that time, which feels like the most valuable asset of Taven at this time, is that he's not leaving. And that's right. bad. <laughs> right. And, and and that's the, you know why, essentially, why many people feel Taven is the champion, because he's a guy who's not going to leave. And so there's a lot of similarities even between Taven and Zabisco, if you want to even take it further. Um, so it's just this company just reeks of the AWA right before they really took the fall. And, you know, it's like by all rights, Sergeant Slaughter should have been a bigger deal when he came in. But for whatever reason, he wasn't. Uh, whether the way they pushed him or whatever the case, by all rights, Roosh and Bandito should be bigger deals. And for whatever reason, they're not. And, and, you know, it's like Snooka and Slaughter should have made a difference. Those were huge stars, but they didn't. So, it, it, and it just, and, and the shows, the AWA shows in those days, they had good wrestling and were well-reviewed and similar to ROH shows having good wrestling and the wrestling being well-reviewed, but everyone knew what was coming. And it, you just feel like they're, they are on a really bad path. And, the attendance and the business have really nosedived. And a show like this, in the preview I did behind the paywall, they really had an opportunity to shake things up and get people's attention. You could have had Cobb win. You could have had Bandito win. You could have um, done some creative things and gone in some new directions, especially when you're looking at what your ticket sales look like. And Rich, they did none of it. 
it was status quo booking up and down the card. And that's, you know, it, they did nothing on this show that's going to excite people about the company. No matter how many three and a quarter star matches they have, nothing happened here that's going to work people up and get them to go to the ticket booth. And that's, I think, our major problem with this show. Not so much the wrestling, which was fine. And to just be real wacky, it's like Nick Bockwinkle in this analogy would be the Briscoes. How about that? <laughs> right. Like the guy, the guy that's been there forever. And he's always the there. Yeah. Like that's the best comp I could come up with. And could you find two diametrically opposed uh, figures than Nick Bockwinkle and, and Mark Briscoe? I'd love to get uh, them in the room together to see what that conversation would be like. The Nick Bockwinkle, Mark Briscoe conversation would be a, yeah. be a good one. But. And it's like Tony Khan would be Vince McMahon here because he took fucking the elite away the way Vince took Hulk Hogan away. Right. But, um, Anyway, I don't think. And, we're and by the way, yes, I am aware that Nick Bockwinkel and, and Mark Briscoe cannot have a conversation right now. If they did, it'd be a much bigger story. But uh, oh, yeah. there's, there's someone that's going to definitely be like, "Hi, Dad, you knew that? Did you not know that?" I, I know that. I just mean, in this hypothetical, them having a conversation would be funny. Anyway, move on. <laughs> Rich is Rich is so shook by like you know tweets. it. Oh, you know he's those. so he's shook got... by like random tweets from fucking dummies that he always <laughs> clarifies these things <laughs> to right. try to avoid getting them. It's funny. Um, we're not going to go match by match here. But um, I guess we have to address – well, look, I gave you my favorite match on the show. What was your favorite match? On the show? Uh, my favorite match, I believe – I like the six-man. I think it's at a tie with Shane Taylor and Bandito. I really did like Shane Taylor and Bandito, and I think Shane Taylor's been doing the best work of his entire career uh, this year. He's had some really, really good matches. The stuff with Cobb has been great, and everything that he's really been doing this year is great. And I thought Bandito was pretty solid in that match, too, and I thought the blend of, of, of Taylor being kind of the big man, Bandito being the flyer, and then them also sort of Taylor doing a little bit more of his, you know, showing that he does have some athleticism, too, I think was pretty fun uh, to see. So I'm right with those two uh, being neck and neck. And then also the pure roles match. I, I did enjoy a little bit Gresham and Silas Young because uh, I like that style of match a little bit more than you did, and I think that might be a good opportunity for you to kind of talk about it. But at the end of it, like I may have liked that match a little bit more, but I thought the finish was absolutely ridiculous with Jonathan Gresham cheating to beat Silas Young uh, and the announcers just being like, well, Silas cheated before, so it's fine that Jonathan Gresham cheated, which you would think would be like a heel turn, but it was just definitely like, ah, well, uh, he did that, so it's fair that Gresham does it. And it was just like, oh, okay. You're, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to be like, well, Silas is getting his comeuppance. Right, but... But no. the fans didn't react that way. The no, fans the fans booed. Like, the fans booed Gresham because he was an asshole and he cheated to win. Like, what are you doing? Why yeah. would that make the fans go, yeah? Like, you got to really build a bad heel. Like, you got to do Hulk. Because, like, Hulk Hogan style, he was a dickwad. And he always would, like, cheat and do all this bullshit and, 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 and be a complete asshole. But fans wanted to see him do that because he they really felt like he was giving Earthquake his comeuppance or whatever. He was giving the, the Macho King his comeuppance. You know what I mean? I don't think the fans went, oh, man, I can't wait till Gresham shows Silas Young after all these. It was just like, oh, Gresham, like, dude, you had him won, and then you cheated like an asshole. Like, why'd you well, do that? So well, the, the, the difference between Hulk Hogan being an asshole all the time, which he was. <laughs> the difference between Hulk Hogan and Jonathan Gresham is. Yeah, I mean. The, the <laughs> right. But really, the difference was the whole story here was that Gresham finally got Young on his turf. Right. With the pure match. And they cheated anyway. It's like he, the idea here was to prove that Silas Young could not beat Gresham in a fair fight. And then Gresham cheats and makes it an unfair fight. So, of course, the fans react negatively to it. So, yeah, poorly booked. That's part of the reason I didn't like the match. The other is I just thought the match was kind of boring for the mo for the majority of it. And I don't like the pure rules match. I never liked the idea of the pure rules match 
because I think it just shines a light. It's like basically what the pure rules match is and always has been in ROH is the match where you're telling your audience, okay, this is where the referee really enforces the rules. Those other matches, ah, you can walk all over our referees and do what you want. But now the ref is paying attention. And I just think it's silly. That's not to say there haven't been really good pure matches throughout it. There have been. There have been a bunch of great ones. But I just think the stipulation is dumb. I mean, now we're going to enforce the rules. The rest of the show, well, maybe. Well, they're different <laughs> rules. Now, see, here's where I disagree. I think the pure, because they established that, okay, here are the, we're not going to, we're going to allow X amount of rope breaks. We're going to allow X amount of this. Like, it's just a little bit more of an emphasis on specific rules versus, hey, don't cheat and don't be an asshole and don't use weapons. Like, that's kind of your basic wrestling match is, is don't cheat, break up the hold in the ropes and, and, and don't use weapons. Whereas pure has a little bit more of these restrictions that kind of make it. I, I see, like, the idea that, like, hey, like, adding restrictions to a wrestling match is kind of weird and it doesn't quite work, but, but I like it. Cause I think it, it lets people sort of work different styles. That's not to say that I loved every pure wrestling match. There were many that I went, Oh my God, is this the drizzling shits? I hate this match so much. And there's some that I really liked guys that were good at those matches. were really good at them. Guys that were bad at them. were really, really bad at them. So it, it, it does. I see the variance. I see why you would either like or hate these. And cause I was doing that in the heyday of ring of honor. There was pure matches that I fucking loved. And there are pure matches that I, I were some of my least favorite matches to ever watch live. So I get it. It was really just a gimmick so Nigel McGuinness can manipulate himself into wins. I mean, at, at one point, too. And right. here's the thing. It's like, oh, um, you're going to get warned for a closed fist in a pure... Why don't you warn everybody, then, in every match? If- oh, I agree. No, I don't disagree with that, either. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, right. I don't know. It's just all... Come- I never loved the stip, and I thought the match was kind of boring. And, uh, and like you said, the finish was absurd. Um, we should also address this before we move on. Eli Drake was the mystery partner of Nick Aldis replacing Colt Cabana, the injured Colt Cabana, and he announced that he has signed with not Ring of Honor, which was, <laughs> who was whose show this was. <laughs> Promoting this show. He, in I fact, think. <laughs> he not only said he signed with NWA, he buried Ring of Honor inadvertently when he said, you know, all these promotions wanted Eli Drake. And all these <laughs> Eli Drake. Wanted Eli Drake. And Eli Drake is a man who does things his own way. So Eli Drake decided to turn down all of the, and I'm expecting him to say ring of honor. I thought so too. I had a tweet ready and I was like, Oh wow. Eli Drake's a ring of honor. What a, what a shit move. <laughs> like and, then, and then on a ring of honor show, he goes, but Eli Drake decided to pick the best wrestling organization in the world, the NWA. And you're like, <laughs> What are we what doing? How are you allowing that on your fucking table? I know. I don't know what this NWA stuff. Good on, on Billy. Good on Dave Lagana to get Ring of Honor to basically let them have a, a produce match on every single show. But, like, what? how is Ring of Honor getting any benefit from this? Especially he, that. He, like you were saying, that was, like, so glaring. Because he's cutting this promo. And I'm thinking, and I didn't know the, the context. I kind of was just jumped into the show at this point or whatever. And I'm like, oh, Eli Drake signed with Ring of Honor. That's a little strange. That's kind of weird. And then he goes to the NWA. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why are you just cutting a promo saying all those other companies want me, but I'm only signing with one company, the NWA. And it's Ring of Honor best in the world. Yeah. What are you doing? He did everything short of calling Joe Koff dummy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Joe didn't have the money. Yeah. Joe Koff didn't give me the big bucks, but Eli Drake only goes for the company with history yeah. and the the honor of the NWA. <laughs> Delirious dummy, yeah, like that. He should have just buried them all. Yeah. I mean, oh, God. You know, so and then he, I thought he looked great in the match. Like I thought he wrestled his ass off. Like that was that was top peak Eli Drake 
in that tag against the Briscoes. I thought he was as, as, as good as Slate Randall will ever be. Um, but <laughs> yes, the best person in that match. By he far. was definitely better than Nick Aldis, a hundred thousand percent. I would be if they if they swapped Eli Drake out for Nick Aldis, I'd be a okay with that for sure. NWA has the best arrangement of all time. They get to run their matches and their angles on someone else's dime. You know, it's incredible. <laughs> right. I, I don't get it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, like, like, what benefit does anybody have? Good on them. Great guy. Great job out of those guys. But, like, is it really that big of a deal, the Ring of Honor, to have this match on their show? Like, this is a selling point. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's just bizarre. I, I should try this as well. Oh, sorry. If you do start hearing music in the background, uh, there is a uh, 4th of July festival going on across the street for me. So, um, yeah, if you hear like random cover bands in the background, I, I try to, I'm trying to drown it out as much as I can, but uh, you may hear that. So just a little bit of a warning. Yeah. They get to advance their storylines and angles on someone else's show without having the expense of running a show themselves. <laughs> it's genius. It is genius. It's brilliant. Right. They get to do all their YouTube content. They get to show up on the big shows, promote their YouTube content, promote their, their, their brand, promote their wrestlers. And then they bounce. And then, you know, at at Billy, just a brilliant move here by at Billy. And, uh, and Lagan is getting paid like, you know, so on top of everything else. So it's like, this is just an incredible deal for the NWA. But, um, yeah, just, a a, a, a well-worked wrestling show with very little life and that drummed up zero excitement or, or buzz coming mm-hmm. out of it is how I would sum up best in the world and a company that is on, really on the brink. I mean, if they're not looking at their ticket sales and sitting in a room and coming up with ways to just do different shit to try to drum up some interest, I don't know what they're fucking thinking. Something has to be done. Um, the Matt Taven thing, it's very obvious that he's uh, an anti-draw and whatever fans he has, and he does have his fans, it's just a tiny pocket of fans that aren't difference makers. Yeah. I'm going to take the victory lap on that one, by the way, because I think that was a yeah. disaster to give him the title in MSG. And, uh, As well you proven. should, because it's, 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 you look at the ticket sales and, you know, the Madison Square Taven people and the Kingdom fans and all that. They are very clearly a tiny minority of Ring of Honor fans. And I think Ring of Honor uh, may have taken that. Um, taking them as a much larger percentage of their fan base than they really are. Cause the guy is not drawing. No. Um, and, and the other thing too, we, we, we were talking about a little bit with the, the Larry Sabisco thing and, and, and the Taven is, and you can see from the ROH booking too. And it's, it, it's, it's probably a bigger picture thing that we'll probably talk about in a few weeks when we don't have a bunch of other topics to get to in a, a kind of abbreviated show here. But I think the defeatist attitude towards, ah, this guy's going to leave anyway is, and we talked about it a bunch of times with the Marty Scroll. Why, 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 if the idea is that we have Marty Scroll for one year, Ah, he's gonna leave in September. Ah, why would you give him the title now? To me, it was it was like old promoters were rolling in their fucking grave. You mean I have a guy, a star for a year, and I'm not gonna do it. And it feels like this cop thing too. Cobb's been built up, and he just ten minutes loses a match to Matt Taven after being built up for well, months and months and months okay. and months. Let's uh, let's be fair. I'm not stepping on your point because you're absolutely right. But this show ran over time, which is an indictment in itself. Well, okay, <laughs> That's... And, they, and they were forced to bury Cobb with the with the with the uh, with the 10 minute loss because they fucked up the timing on the show. Well, I'm still going to call him out for that then because that's still yeah, bad. <laughs> and, then as, right, and then as a consequence, Cobb ends up looking like a geek. But yeah, go ahead. You're absolutely right. Well, and, and two, like this is Cobb's first loss. I mean, this is a big loss for him, no matter what, whether it's a 10 minute match or 20 minute match or whatever. This is his first big loss, and it felt ultimately like oh he had a bunch of momentum and now it's kind of like oh, all right whatever he's gone and the defeat the attitude again that i see from people is like oh yeah he's probably gonna leave anyway when he gets a chance 
And it's like, A, don't give people an opportunity to leave. Make them fucking, make it, make this the place to work. Make people want to stay here. And if they don't stay there, whatever, you, you, it happens. But build those guys up. And if they tell you, hey, I'm going, I'm going elsewhere when my contract expires in September, then you know, hey, I gave him my best shot. He's moving elsewhere. No problem. Okay, who's next up? That guy loses to that guy. It's processing 101, and somewhere along the line, Ring of Honor fucking lost that. And now the only thing that's important in Ring of Honor, the most valuable asset to anybody in Ring of Honor, is that you're not going to leave that company. And that is such defeatist and so awful. I mean, it processing promoters, I said, are rolling in their grave with the idea, well, that guy we only have for six months, so why even bother? Ah, he's going to leave anyway. Who cares? Here's the whole thing. How how long have people been saying that Marty Skrull's leaving? And that's what I mean. Like that's why I told you after MSG. I remember I sent a text message to you after that show yeah. saying, "Are we sure he's not leaving in May?" Because if he's still staying some stuff September, it was March. That's yeah. a, a, a lifetime guy. Old school promoters would take six weeks with a guy and lick that's their chops and go, saying. "Oh hell yeah, here we go, baby." In the territories, you would get a guy for six weeks and you would <laughs> and make lick your chops. Bill Watts would go, "Fuck yeah, six weeks of of X or whatever." Oh hell yeah, here we go. Here's what I have in ideas. We had six or seven months of Marty, and they went, "Ah, why even bother at this point?" Jeff, I don't know when Cobb's done, but this feels like ah, what even bother with Jeff Cobb? Who cares? Like it, it, it's just it's so amazing and then you have like the allure and matt taven and 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 you know jay lethal and kenny kings and those are the type that are emerging because they're not going anywhere and that is i i just can't even comprehend that being the way that you book a guy like a roosh losing to, to uh or, or dragon lee losing to to, to uh, you know dalton castle i didn't hate it because in story it makes sense but again it's like no I, why are you not pushing dragon lee are you fucking kidding like dragon lee should be at the top of the show bandito should be winning to do it like i just don't under, but all these guys are on quote-unquote leashes and it's just, I can't even comprehend it. The idea that you only have guys for X amount of months, 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 and you just decide, ah, why even bother? Well, all these guys have been signed for at least a year. I know. Your Cobbs and your Rooshes <laughs> and your Bandidos. That's more than enough time to do something and, and make money with them. And then, hey, and then if they're your world champion, maybe they resign with you because they're making a lot of money and they're being treated well and they're getting pushed. And all these guys have egos and they like being pushed. And and like you're saying, maybe it ends up being the place to be. And then they're like telling their friends, hey, come work with me at Ring of Honor. This is awesome. We could have a program. Right. None but of these no. guys are going to stay. Why Why in the hell would Dragon Lee say, oh, yeah, guys, this is a great place. Why would Jeff Cobb say, oh, no, uh, yeah, Ring of Honor is great. You guys got to go there. It's like, no, I mean. It's 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 a joke, and it's incredible. And I think you nailed it around the head. Like in the old days, you'd get a guy, and you knew you had him for two months. And you'd work them up and, and, and you'd build them up for a big fucking main event. And you'd make money on them and then he would move on. And it's like these guys, this company has guys for a year or two years. And, they, and it's it's the fans, too, who are, who always are telling us, oh, well, Skrull's leaving eventually. You can't push him. <laughs> right. Yes, you can. And it's like, do you even pay attention to pro wrestling or, or any history? Like whatsoever? Literally the other 80 years of pro wrestling. Yes, you can push him if he is leaving at some point. <laughs> You could find a way to make money on someone if you have them for two weeks. I mean, do an angle week one and fucking do a big match week two. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's insane. And they're shooting themselves in the foot. And I think you're on to something. It's the guys they know aren't going anywhere. And and it's the safe play for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's not going well. Hey, big, Ticket sales are bad. Big, this summer's been bad. <laughs> you know, the big Flip Gordon turn. Oh, yeah. Joining uh, uh, Villain Enterprises, I guess we got to mention that too. Look, I like Flip. I mean, I know Flip takes a lot of heat, and and I'm really not sure why. I think he's a perfectly fine wrestler. I, I really don't have any issues with because he's Gordon. a dummy on Twitter, so people hate him. And he's a bad it's, wrestler because he's a dummy on Twitter. That's He's, he's a dummy on Twitter. That is a contributing factor. 
Um, with some of your hard leftists, he's a troop. So, of course, that's a factor. Um, and, and yeah, it's the flatter thing. It's like, because he's, you know, he's, 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 so he's perceived. A lot of that has, has something to do with it. Um, I, I really, when people say he's a terrible wrestler, I really don't get it. I, when I watch Flip Gordon, I don't feel like I'm watching a terrible wrestler. I mean, what am I not seeing that other people are seeing in his performances? Do I think right. he's, I don't think he's I great, think, but I, no, I think I, he's, yeah, he's not bad. He's an acceptable pro wrestler who, who does some cool shit now and then. And I mean, again, I don't think he's like, he's never making my fucking wrestler at a year list, but I mean, I, you know, he's not a guy I ever watch and I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's a fucking disaster. So I do think it's kind of like non wrestling things bleeding into the criticisms, but um, we'll see how he does as a heel. And um, that's ring of honor best in the world. As we move on to, We'll wrap up the show with a couple New Japan topics. Southern Showdown, uh, you saw the main event. Well, not the main event. Everyone's calling it the main event. Uh, the main event was actually Tanahashi and Okada defeating Bad Luck Folly and Jay White in a two-star special. But the match that anyone's paying attention to, of course, is Willow Spray versus Robbie Eagles 4, uh, which was the semi-main event. And uh, you did watch that match, correct, Rich? I did, yes. Yep, yep. Um, I can tell you that you do not need to see the rest of the show. This was a uh, a nothing show. I mean, if you have free extra time and you want, like, it's not a terror. There were a couple matches that were no good, but you know, if you want to check out Slex versus Aaron Solo, knock yourself out. If you want to check out, you know, uh, Girls of Destiny versus Juice and Mikey Nichols, go for it. If you want to watch a two and three quarter star, perfectly fine match, but there's really nothing else here you need to see other than the match we're about to talk about. Uh, Osprey Eagles for me. Of their four matches, I would put it either third or fourth. Still a great match. I gave it four and a third. Um, I think it it wasn't as good as their two. You're not going to call me out for that four and a third. I was that was a setup. <laughs> no, you can right, you can allow right. it. I'll allow it. It's fine. I know you got the fear, but I, I, I you you get more upset at it than I do. I, I think it's fine to have the little. I, listen. I think it was better than four and a quarter, but I can't go four and a half on it. So uh, yeah, that's fine. I, I don't, I don't love it, but it's it, whatever. It's I okay. do four and a third once or twice a year. You know, there was a, there was a, you're, nice you're starting time. to do it a little bit more though. Watch it. It's like, it's similar to unprotected chair shots. It's, it's a lot of diminishing returns. You gotta, you know, you know, it is, it, 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 it you don't, want to get too, you don't want to be too much like Larry. That's, that's all I'm saying. Or a good friend, Larry, who does his pluses and minuses or whatever. Yeah. Four star plus. Oh, and by the way, not, not to, not to get off rails, but do you know that dude, ju- like, he just cashed because him and I had been talking shit about the Boston Celtics, New Jersey Nets, or bought Brooklyn Nets trade for oh, years and years yeah, yeah, and years. Yeah. He just DM me after Durant and I, I, uh, Kyrie sign. It goes, oh, I'm cashing in my chips. <laughs> like argument. I'm like, no, get out of oh, here. Come on, because <laughs> he's he's the Nets guy. And at that time, I was like, oh, dude, that's a bloodbath. Are you kidding? Like, why okay. did you guys do all that to get you know Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett? And I yes. got why they did. And we would get an argument. I mean, this is like a seven year argument at this point. And I basically assumed that I had won it. And I basically told Larry, like, hey, yeah, yeah, look at it. He cashes in the chips this year, <laughs> 2019, for that trade. Which you no, know, no, no, Larry's full of shit. This the the dispute between you and Larry was the Garnett Paul Pierce trade, right? Okay, you won that in a bloodbath. It yeah, was by, by 2013, I won that fucking trade. Yeah, that was awful for the Nets. This is like a completely different era. There's not <laughs> there's not a single player left from that that played with Garnett who's still on the Nets. There isn't. There can't be. I mean, they've gone through um, several different eras since then. 
No, he cannot claim this. Okay, good. Well, there you go. Yeah, because he, he slides in the DM saying, oh, I'm claiming victory on this. And yeah, I'm not. No shot. No. Okay, there you go. All right, now go on. <laughs> um, so the Spray Eagles, I'd have it as the third or fourth out of their uh, four matches that they've had. Um, the first half of this match was building up to be legitimately an all-time classic. I was watching this match for the first half and thinking, this is going to be one of the greatest matches of all time. And then the second half of the match, they kind of blew off the story of the first half and then moved into sort of the story of the the, the Phantasmo Eagles stuff. And it kind of became a different match in the second half. Still a great match, but they were on their way to a five-star match. And it ended up being more of a, a story match on the back end with ELP. And um, I still enjoyed the hell out of it. And Eagles on that tour... Um, the show hasn't, I think it was on the other show where he officially finally turned on ELP and Bullet Club. And as we all suspected, he has joined Chaos. So um, it's playing out as many of us thought it would. Robbie Eagles will be the Chaos Jr. Will Ospreay will presumably move up to heavyweight. Uh, Rich, what did you think of Will Ospreay, Robbie Eagles? I really, really liked it. I probably slotted a little bit behind some of their other ones. Like the, the, the I think the first one. I'm trying to remember now my rankings. I have to really okay. go back and okay. watch them all. Like, what, what's kind of the definitive rankings? I will tell you. The first two matches are the PWA matches. Um, to me, those two are are the two the two best. I think I like the first one the most. Whatever order you want to put them in, yeah, I like, whatever. Yeah, I like but the, both those ones like, for sure. I like the second one better. If you like the first one, that's fine. Really, to me, the debate is the Super Junior match and this match for third and fourth. Pretty similar where they both involved the ELP stuff toward the back end. The first half of this match was, oh, man, where Osprey was working on Osprey's leg. And, yeah. And Osprey, and Osprey just went with the crowd and worked heel, which I thought was a total dichotomy of the stomping grounds match where Daniel Bryan was forced to work as a heel, even though the crowd wanted to cheer him. In this match, they went with it. Osprey worked heel because the crowd didn't want to like him. Eagles worked face. And then when El Phantasmo got involved, the Phantasmo became the heel of the match. And then the crowd was behind Will and Robbie. So it kind of switched at that point. It was just so much good stuff. But I can't call a match a match of the year contender or an all-time great match when it heavily involves the third outside party like that. So I like a match to be clean mm-hmm. if I'm calling it you know, an all timer or something. I, like. I do think this is probably the best way to involve a third person though, because I, to me, it enhanced the match in a lot of ways because Robbie being able to tell this guy, no, no, no get the hell out of here and, and, and knocking him out of the ring and, and really setting him a part of the match. And then just saying, okay, no, it's you and I, and let's figure this out. I think was, was a way to, it, it did. I think it, it, it did help it in the, in the sense that like the best of the super juniors matches I really did love. I felt like that match, I think a little bit of a deterrent, the, the El Phantasmal stuff, like it felt like it did affect the match to me negatively not very not like a match not that match like sucked or like oh i hated it because he was in there but this one i think like you had the guy come in here but it was like robbie pushing him away and osprey being able to overcome both him and robbie i think was was an important part of the story too so i think it was actually i to me it almost enhanced a little bit i could i've done without it absolutely but i think it was a way where it was it wasn't overbearing and it was done just enough to sort of tell the story they wanted to tell and then it made the last few minutes of the match even that much better once you know that robbie eagles just basically told this guy hey i don't need your fucking help or i'm you know get out of here i'm gonna do this on my own i think was 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 a good and important way to, to prove sort of the match itself and, and, and prove that, you know, when he did lose that he lost on his own merit, not because of any other reason. So I think that was an important way to do it. 
um, as well. But I thought, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of it was good. And I, I loved uh, the commentary, too. They did a great job of talking about Eagles being, like, really upset that Will Ospreay, you know, sort of says, hey, I'm I'm going to put Australia on the map. And it's like, oh, dude, who the fuck are you to say you're going to put Australia on the map? This is my area. This is my country and my town. You know, So it was cool to see the crowd really rally behind Eagles. And like you said, Osprey then have to play heel the entire time of being this guy who sort of talks a big game about rising up from the ashes and 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 and, and doing all this for Australia. And, like, yeah, we know that maybe in real life that is the case. But for the, you know, Robbie Eagles to have some pride and say, no, 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 who are you to come to my country and say that you're going to turn this country into, you know, the, the wrestling haven or whatever. This is my area. So I really like that idea that sort of the home court advantage for, for Robbie Eagles. But no, really, really good stuff here. I'd probably slot it below the two PWA matches, but I think a little bit above the best of the Super Juniors. But you're talking about a series of four great matches, and this one was spectacular. I went four and a, four and a quarter with this one. All right, so that was Southern Showdown. We're still waiting. Is that other show going to pop up? Dude, on Dude, I don't think so, man. I mean, I don't. I, I'll be honest. I don't think Southern Showdown. I found it via not uh, the cleanest of means because it is. I don't believe it's on New Japan World yet. They know uh, there was some delay uh, in getting it up fight. there. You, it it's is on fight. fight, yeah. But you mentioned that there was um, an issue with one of the finishes, like what the, the Rocky Romero match. Yeah. The Phantasmo Romero match, the, there was no fin- the finish. There was technical difficulties, and admit they did the finish just didn't air. Okay, well, yeah. So as, as of this recording, we're recording this on Wednesday. Obviously, uh, it is not up on New Japan World just yet, even though it's supposed to be up, uh, I believe, Sunday or, or Monday uh, at the latest. Which me, lead, leads me to believe the Sydney show. I mean, if the Melbourne show still hasn't come up, and they promised that that one was going to be up there, the G one starting, like I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to see the Sydney show. We might have a new Holy Grail here with the uh, the Sydney New Japan Southern Showdown. Well, I want to see the Sydney show because it's got the Ishii Hanari match. Yeah, I know. I don't. I, maybe, maybe that match will. Drop, maybe a few matches will drop. But man, it's like it can't. It, it won't be a priority in two days. And and right now, the priority is probably getting that 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 other Southern Showdown up. And that's not even up as we're recording. So the Wheel Man is on that show. I want to see. I the know. I know. There's some good stuff on that show. I don't know, man. We there was they were like very coy about if that one was ever going to show up anyway in the first place. And now after all this, it's I don't know. All right, so I guess the last topic, we'll spend a minute or two on this. We've got the G1 show coming up this Saturday. Uh, I will be in attendance. Half of the staff will be in attendance. Rich will not be in attendance. Uh, all of his vacations have caught up with him. He cannot talk <laughs> into jaunting off to Texas for uh, for two days to watch Tanahashi Okada, the match that Rich personally was booking for America for the last three years. They finally book it, and he can't see it. It's my gift. It's my gift to the world, so enjoy, everybody. That's Rich's gift to the world. So we've got night one of the G1 this Saturday. And uh, the G1's about to kick off. Uh, so who do you got in Tanahashi Okada? Like, give me your winners of the five mats. Tanahashi Okada, what do you think you're going to do here on night one? Okay, so I think I have Okada winning. Uh, I went back and kind of looked at the booking and 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 – I was actually kind of surprised. I forgot about this, that Tanahashi actually won the last match between those two guys. That was in uh, yeah. September uh, between the two. I kind of forgot about that match in, in some ways in terms of the the you know the wins and losses or whatever. So I think Okada can very easily, like if Okada was on a five-match streak, then I'd be like, ah, I could waver a little bit. But to me, it was like no doubter uh, that Okada comes out there, gets the big win on, on, on night one. Yeah, I think Okada's going to win too. Um, they wouldn't mean Tanahashi lost both of his big singles matches in America after losing in, in MSG too. But... Um... But I don't think that matters. Yeah, I don't think that matters anymore. So what about uh, Willow Spray versus Lance Archer? Do you agree with the general consensus, which I thought was a unique opinion of mine, but it seems like everyone seems to agree. Do you agree that Archer is getting the big hometown win, especially since uh, Will won the first one? Yeah, so I do. I do think Archer's going to win, and I think it's kind of interesting in our G1 pick'em. As, as we're recording this right now in the exact moment, 
50.1% of people have Lance Archer. 49.7% have Will Ospreay. It is right on the neck there. I'm sure there's a little bit there. Maybe somebody picked a draw or something like that. Really close there between those two guys. Uh, Archer, slight favorite. Will Ospreay just a little bit under him. Of course, that'll change as, as more pick em, uh, picks come in. But uh, yeah, I thought, again, that we were kind of unique by saying, hey, Lance Archer's going to win this. But I think a lot of people either A, listen to us or kind of thought about it a little bit of like, yeah, it's a good nod to Archer. And and two, like if you listen to the show last week, and, and this will be a point that we talk about, I think, a lot during this, this G1 and a lot uh, in this show right here, is I think a lot of people think Will Ospreay is going to do a lot better than I think Will Ospreay is going to do. And, and this is a case where I think we'll really know what Will Ospreay is going to be made of in this tournament because if Archer puts him away, which I think he's going to do, it might sort of tell us in the future that, hey, look, Wasprey is a junior and this guy's a heavyweight, and that's going to matter for the rest of this tournament. You've got Osprey at two points, and I think you're insane. That's a little low. I admit that's a little low, but I don't. I, Joe, I'm sorry. I'm going through these pickums right now. You got people know, at, the wins aren't there. I, people I got him at ten. They got him at twelve. They got him at eight. And I'm like, dude, I don't know, man. He's a, he's he is a junior. Like he's he can't be just rifling through all the heavyweight division. Or like you said, and and you talked about it last week. If he does do that, then he is a fucking star. You know what I mean? Then that dude is going to win this IWGP title in the calendar year, you know, 2020. He's winning this title. But, like, I don't think that quite yet. I think that they're going to kind of, to me, I think the story that they're going to probably play up, and the reason I have him only at a few wins is I, and, and two, you know, two points is I see him at, it's sort of playing up that the best of the super juniors really warm out that Robbie, that he's been doing this breakneck pace and doing this schedule that nobody can live through this. Nobody can do what he's been doing and survive against heavyweights. And that's, I think what you're going to do. Maybe he plays up an injury. Maybe he does something like that. There's gotta be a way to do it because the wins are just not there. And if they are there, then I have a really bad read on, on, on what Will Ospreay is going to be in this next year. Like I think down the line, he's going to be a star, but I mean, if he gets eight wins, or if he gets, you know, eight points or whatever, or, or 12 points, like some people have met, then this guy's a fucking, as you said, a fucking star. Like, this oh, guy's yeah. one of the biggest parts of the division. I think that's insane, though. There's somewhere in between. In between my two and, and the 12, there's somewhere that's a nice fine line. Okay, does it, does anything, does does the Robbie Eagles turn change your mind at all? Because they're kind of setting into motion that plan a little quicker than maybe we thought. Sure, yeah, that Osprey's out. He's going to move up to heavyweight. Robbie Eagles takes over the Chaos Junior. Yeah, I think so. But is the G1 the time to do that? I, I don't know. Maybe that's something well, that you would say. The counter argument would be, is the G1 the perfect time to do that? Because it it, all eyes are on him and everything. I think two is low. I do think he's losing to Archer. The thing about Archer is he might be in line for a singles push. Um, he's been loyal. He worked his ass off trying to sell tickets for this thing. He's doing nonstop media newspapers, podcasts, radio shows, selling tickets every weekend. Um, they, they've established a new finisher for him with that claw slam. So it just makes sense. He gets the win back from the New Japan Cup. They, re- they establish his new finish. Uh, they establish him as a force. So I do think Archer is winning in Dallas. Then it becomes, where is Will getting all of these wins if you think he's getting 8 to 10 points? Because that's a match that appears winnable on paper, and then there's all big heavyweight stars in front mm-hmm. of him. So then it gets tricky, but we'll see. Uh, it, it, this is one of the hardest G1s to figure in terms of how guys like Will and Shingo and, and some others are going to do points-wise, even though I think, to me, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Naito's winning the whole thing. Um, Kenta versus Kota Ibushi. Who do you like in that one? I think the winner in that one is obvious. Yeah, it's, it's Kota, I think. See, yeah. I think Kenta is a thousand percent winning that match like that is the match i would bet my life on that kenta is beating kota ibushi i'm gonna tell you why they're they're not gonna they've got to establish that kenta 
is a legitimate contender in the block. Right? <laughs> I'm an idiot. I actually picked Kenta. Sorry. <laughs> they, 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 I'm, done. I'm done. I'm sorry. I did pick Kenta. So. And they're not going to – you did pick Kenta? Well, yeah, I did. I, I'm an idiot. I, I, I did this a little bit earlier. So still argue with me despite the fact that, yes, I agree with you. I can't argue with you now. I'm, I'm an idiot. I should have been quiet, but I just wanted, uh, you know, for, for no, full I, transparency purposes, I did have to admit my mistake. So. I mean, it's his first match, and the company has to win. You know, it's like they can't have him go out there and eat an L right off, right out of the bat. So, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to go on the long diet. <laughs> I mean, I think Kota Bushi has a fucking go to sleep waiting for him, and that's going to be that. I do want to read you this. Did you see this interview with Kenta? I did. Yeah, that was awesome <laughs> i mean he just everything that we've been saying about the guy he basically confirmed you know he says that um okay he says about his wwe experience it's hard to put into words but it was a very tough five years i got hurt and beyond that i was really grasping for something during that whole time it's like i came into the company to bring my style of wrestling worldwide but what that actually became was bending and adapting to what the company wanted that's important in a sense, but the strength and aggression that I bring to the table got lost. That's a real shame, end quote. Rich, what were we saying about him the entire time? The aggression was gone. It wasn't really Kenta. Then he went on to bury the agents. One person there might tell you, do it this way, and then another would be, no, 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 do it like this. That meant my own personal vision just crumbled away. There are people who can do well in that environment, but I just couldn't. So the what's next question came up and I didn't ask anybody else what they thought. I just decided to focus on what I wanted to do. Otherwise, there's no point. End quote. He's all about the decision to go to New Japan. So you can see the backstage chicanery going on in that company where you're getting different thoughts from different people. It's confusing for the talent. And, um, you know, it's just an absolute mess. And then he went on to say, I want to get the quote about the go to sleep. Oh, here we go. Uh, not being able to use his finisher inside WWE. Quote. It's not like I invented the dropkick or anything, but when it comes to a move that I did make, that was another thing that got to me about Yes, God, I love this. God, I'm ready for him. (laughs) A move I invented. I thought it up, and I'm not allowed to use it? Yeah, fuck yeah. That's crazy. Over here, well, nobody can say anything to stop me from hitting it. God, I cannot wait. God, this guy rules. So it's like he got stripped it's, of all his moves. It's everything we said. I, I, I've never felt better. Like, we nailed every fucking point. Like, it feels like he's a flagship listener, and he's just like, yeah, this is what people think, so I'm just going to go with it. Like, Joe, everything. The different people telling him different things. The not being aggressive, I'll be aggressive. Nah, not quite sure. And the go to sleep thing. That We nailed it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, 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 these essentially are our quotes. <laughs> right, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced now that he's just play. Ah, this is what the people think. So yeah, I'll tell him that I want to do the go to sleep, even though I didn't really care. Like, <laughs> this is awesome. He also talked about how he was talking to Shibata like the whole time, and like plotting his exit. Right. So it's like that's how it's like I kind of figured that, which is why when he left, I came on this show and said, "Hey, look, people think he's going to Noah. I think New Japan is the clear favorite." You know, with the Shibata connection and everything else. And that's the way it played out. So I wanted to get those Kenta quotes in. And then the other two matches we've got, it's Zack Sabre Jr. versus, is it Evil or Sonata? It is. Uh, it is. Sorry, I scrolled away. Now I got it back. It is Zack Sabre Jr. Sonata. Right. And then um, it's Bad Luck Fale 
versus evil. Yes. So I, I've Sonata and evil in both of those, but uh, those those I think are pretty open. I can see definitely Zack Saber Jr. and our, our Pickham folks have it pretty close as well. Uh, and Balak Folly Evil, I have evil, and, and a lot of people are steering towards evil as well. So I would tend to agree with them. Okay, so I will be at the show. I don't know when I'm going to get. I mean, you could kick open. You can kick off the. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll talk about that. Let's see what what can happen. I don't know exactly when I'm going to be able to. I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to watch it exactly live, or I'll, I'll probably watch it live. I don't know if I can record live, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, we can. We we'll, we'll get you guys something. Don't worry. Yeah, that that show that review, like I said, that might be a weird one, and it's not up right away. But maybe we could even do something right after the show while I'm driving. Who knows? We'll we'll we Rich and I will figure that out. But um. You know, we'll have the review up behind the paywall at some point, and then of course we'll be on regular schedule once it starts up again. So, all right, before we go though, do got to do this. Gun to your head, yeah. A block winner. Um, I think I'm I'm gonna go with the safe play and say they do Abushi Naito again. Okay, I'm right with you as well. Abushi Naito, G1 Climax champion. Who is it? Yeah, boring picks. Naito. Naito's yeah, winning. me too. Damn it. <laughs> I kind of agree. Uh, just kind of chime in real quick. And, and there'll be an article up at voicewrestling.com as well about this, uh, some of the stats uh, from the pick because we're always like kind of diving in and seeing, you know, what, what people are predicting and what they're saying and sort of get an idea. I like to do it as close as humanly possible because I don't want to influence any picks here. But um, there's some fun stuff. A, too many goddamn draws, guys. Guys, nobody draws. Like, like there's one or two a year tops. But everybody, man, every match has got, like, some draws in it. Like, people got, like, Lance Archer, Bad Luck Folly matches drawing. Like, they're not going to draw Bad Luck Folly Lance Archer. Man. But regardless, uh, A-Block winner, overwhelming uh, pick. 64.6% have Kota Bushi right now. Uh, A-Block runner-up, overwhelmingly Ko- uh, Okada at 58.4. Uh, B-Block winner, again, Naito, 73.4. Uh, next closest is Jay White at 20.3. I should say the next closest uh, in the A block is uh, Tanahashi and Will Ospreay, who are both tied for 8.6% uh, percent right now. But, uh, yeah, runaway Wait winners for both of those. Are, oh, no. People are picking Will Ospreay to win the I'm block. I'm telling you, dude. Dude, I'm telling you. You're, it's the Shibata thing all over again. It's the Kotobushi thing from four or five years ago again. Like, I'm telling you, Joe, yeah. I'm going to do that stat piece. And I'm going to say, people, you're, you're, I, I, I'm fine with it. Be excited about Will Ospreay. But reel it in, guys. He's not winning the block. He's not winning 14 matches. You know, he's not getting 14 points. Like, get out. And there are people that have him almost perfect. There's some people that have him winning more than Naito does. And I'm like, no, get out of here. There's no way. Like, like huge upsets left and right, too. And, hey, if they do it, then, yeah, he's a fucking megastar. But, yeah, I don't think it. Uh, And as far as G1 Climax champion, Naito, 53.2% have him overwhelming. But uh, Kotobushi's right there at 32.5%, also 5.3%. Uh, have Jay White as a potential winner as well. There's also think, 10 people, think, Joe. 10 people yeah. think Will Ospreay is winning this whole thing. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? I don't know what's more absurd. Those 10 people or if only 53% pick at Naito. That's low. I, I don't that could, that could be That could be a little bet thing here. That's a little let's try to win some prizes type thing. You know thing. what? You're absolutely right. You, you, you're dead on. You know, because if you want it, it's like it's like picking Duke in the NCAA. Right. Everyone's going to pick Duke and everyone's going to pick Kentucky. I'm going to pick Loyola of Chicago and see what happens. Right. You know, and, and if it pays off, it pays off. Usually it doesn't. But no one's ever going to. If you so if you pick Will Ospreay and Will Ospreay wins, no one, you know, or you pick Will Ospreay and Will Ospreay doesn't win. You're just going to say, oh, yeah, well, I was shot in the dark or whatever. But man, yeah. if Will Ospreay wins that thing, do you not think those 10 people are going to be the loudest people in the world telling you, I told you Will Ospreay was going to win. I told you like that's in way. People always, oh, yeah, I knew Loyola. Yeah, they have good defense or whatever. Like, get the hell out of here. You didn't know anything. You just picked because you thought it'd be fun uh, to right. pick an upset. But uh uh, you got that. So anyway, yeah, there'll be a piece up uh, right now. Uh, anybody that is listening, you have it until 
the G1 Dallas show to get your pick'em uh, picks in. VoiceWrestling.com slash G1 Pick'em. VoiceWrestling.com slash G1 Pick'em. You have until the opening bell of the Dallas show. Don't send me shit afterwards. Don't send me shit five minutes after the show and say, oh, I didn't watch the show, I promise, and then all I have is the right picks. Like, Don't do it next week. Don't do it in five weeks. Before the opening bell of the entire show, if that pick'em isn't in, I'm deleting it, and it is not coming in. So just letting you know that, voicewrestling.com slash G1 Pick'em. Uh, we're not doing that. But some great prizes I should mention as well. First place uh, is going to win a free copy of Parisu Travel uh, Vacation in Japan uh, by Craig Mann, uh, as well as a collection of Vinto, uh, vintage Pearl magazines from uh, violentmiracle.com as well. Uh, second place is going to win a free Switchblade J. White Iron-On Patch from Cheap Shot Party and Angry Lemonade. Uh, also, I should say Cheap Shot Party is offering uh, all P- uh, Pick'em participants uh, 10% off. All you got to do is use promo code G1Climax at their website. That's Cheap Shot Party as well. Uh, and last but not least, uh, third place is going to win 10, 10 Joe, 10 free Inspire Pro Wrestling Blu-ray DVDs. And we've talked about Inspire Pro Wrestling many times on this show. Uh, Big Biss, who has been a, a former guest on the show, uh, Inspire is a great promotion outside of Texas. You are going to get, or in Texas, I should say, uh, you're going to get 10 free Inspire Pro Wrestling Blu-rays for coming in third place. That's not a bad gig for third place whatsoever. Uh, oh, why is, that, why is that the third place prize? Hey, man, I, I just thought because it wasn't directly New Japan related that maybe, but that's a hell of a prize. I, so, I had a few people say, oh, man, I'm kind of strategically going for third if possible. That's not taking anything away from the Chief Shot Party, Angry Lemonade, or the or, or, or you know the Violent Miracle stuff. But, man, 10 Blu-rays from, from a, a company like Inspire Pro Wrestling. That's good stuff there. So uh, really good prizes there, and it's obviously free to enter. Uh, VoiceWrestling.com slash G1 Pick'em. And, Joe, man, have a hell of a time in Dallas. I am... Very, very jealous, uh, partially angry, but that's going to be an incredible show and incredible atmosphere, and I'm, I'm sure you cannot wait. Yeah, man. I don't know if it's even sunk in yet. Tanahashi versus Okada. <laughs> I know, man. man. It's like seeing, like, Misawa versus Kobashi. You know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. It hasn't really, and, and then Kenta Obushi. That's what I mean. Like, the next match is like, and that's the thing, that's the one that gets me, gets me the most mad. I talked about it a few weeks ago. It sucks. It sucks that I mentioned Tanahashi and Okada. I've seen him in the ring together. I've seen him do some stuff. The idea that Kota fucking Ibushi and Kenta are going to open the G1 Cli- the opening round of the G1 Climax is going to have those two dudes and Kenta's return to relevancy and Kota Ibushi's, you know, potential journey. To- God damn it. I'm really jealous about that. Okay. Now I'm angry. Now I'm angry. It has sunk in and now I'm angry. So God damn it. But it's all right. It's fine. How about randomly seeing Lindemann and T-Hawk at Caldwell, Texas the next day? <laughs> that is pretty interesting. That is awesome. Yeah. How about that? That one, not so much, just because it's so weird. But uh, I'm a little jealous, too. That is pretty cool. But yeah, the, uh, Texas, your, your little neck of the woods is the center of the Pro Wrestling Universe this weekend. So uh, it's going to be a fun one. But obviously, yeah, we'll have coverage up at VoicesWrestling.com throughout the uh, the weekend. At Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Uh, the Patreon, Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling or VoicesWrestling.com slash Patreon. Uh, whichever way you want. We will have content up there. Again, we'll try to figure out about that opening night of the G1 Climax for the reviews. Might be a little weird, but uh, once we get rolling there, you're going to get every single night almost immediately after. So uh, good stuff on uh, on that. So a good time to subscribe as well, voicewrestling.com slash Patreon. Anyway, we got to get out of here. I got a festival going on across the street with fireworks about to start. So uh, not that I care about the fireworks, but my dog's uh, not really fans of them. Uh, really like to bark a lot during them as well. So anyway, uh, we will take off on uh, this week, and we'll see you next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.